a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zero Limits listeners, I'm out on the road today in a van, a van called Dolly. <laughs> We're out uh, north of Newcastle, probably about 45, 50 minutes. I've got a special co-host guest on today. <laughs> He's special. <laughs> He's special. Some of our listeners would know. He's a target of many too. <laughs> Andrew Murphy, Raptor Thirteen. How you doing, mate? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me here, mate. It's good to good to have you co-hosting. It's, um, this is going to be an experience because this is the first time you've jumped on a mic outside of the court system, <laughs> <laughs> outside of the policing world in the court. Yeah, it's uh, a bit nervous. Yeah, so no, it'd be good to have you. Um, obviously chat with our guest today because we're actually at his house in his van. He's got a podcast. It's called Heart to Heart Walk, and we'll let him talk about it because he knows a lot more about it. His name is Matt Ubrine. He spent 17 years in the New South Wales Police. As a majority of his time in the New South Wales Police, he spent in the rescue squad. Yeah. I said it right. <laughs> mate, uh, Matt, welcome to your van. Yeah, thanks, doing, mate? Matt. Uh, not doing too bad. Yeah, thank Yeah, you. good, mate. How's, good to see you. Yeah. When we spoke about this a while back, it was there was hesitation. A lot of hesitation. Yeah, a lot of hesitation. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've been through some battles over the years with uh, PTSD. Yeah, definitely. Which yeah. obviously contributes to that hesitation. But we finally got there and we've got your, got your podcast going as well, yeah, which, is, yeah. which has been a good Thanks thing. Thanks to your help, mate. Yeah, I, I must no, it's, admit, it's, there's, uh, there's a lot of lot of your uh, help and advice that's gone into getting it off the ground. So, uh, yeah, right from the outset, I'd like to say thanks, mate. That's, no, uh, no, all good, mate. All yeah. good. If you're licensing police, though, I wouldn't have helped. <laughs> <laughs> I'd not start a podcast then. Well, compared to your co-host, I must admit my career's been very different for the most part. But anyway. Oh, but we crossed over for a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's what I say. For the most part. Not yeah. All. And I think that's why, you know, I asked uh, Murph to come on today is because you guys have worked together and yeah. he'll know a bit of the, the backstory 
can help out with the with the car hosting. So Matt, let's uh, let's start off right from the start. Give us a quick rundown. Now we know that um, speaking earlier that your old man spent a lot of a lot of years in the police force. Yeah, where'd you grow up and how'd you go at schooling? Yeah, look, I grew up out at Bathurst for the most part. I, my mum and dad split up when I was two, so I was living in Sydney when my dad joined the police uh, until that time. So. Yeah, mum moved back home, family town of Bathurst, and uh, as mum and dad were both from there, and so were the uh, grandparents. So, yeah, grew up out there as a, a kid kicking around the Macquarie River fishing and, um, yeah, just having having fun as most bush kids do. Just reading your bio that you sent through, you know, most of my guests, I get them to send through some information on themselves. Your parents separated when you were a young fella, so, yeah. how, you know, how did that contribute to your, your family life? Yeah, it's a big game changer, I think. Like, I, I must admit, being two years old when it happened, um, I don't really have any memory of, of life with Dad at all, but it's definitely, uh, you know, something that not a lot of kids in my my year and my schooling had to had to deal with. Like, I only, only really got to see my dad probably once a year for the most most of my childhood. So there's definitely... Um, it's definitely something that shapes you, I think, as a kid to not have that male role model. But I was pretty lucky because my my mum's family is a pretty big family, and I had plenty of uncles, and uh, you know they they all sort of looked after me and took me fishing, and uh, you know like that sort of male role modelling was definitely there. Um, and and I spent a lot of time with my my mum's mum and dad, my um, nan and my grandfather. Uh, who, yeah, my grandfather was an ex-World War II guy. He didn't say a hell of a lot, but he uh, he certainly had time for me. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then your uh, your old boy joined the police when when you, when you they separated. Yeah, no, he was already in. Actually. Oh, he was already in, was he? That, yeah, that's right. actually why they separated. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, Dad joined the cops from when he was out at Bathurst and they moved into Sydney where his first posting was and that's where it all went south for them, um, which was – you know, <laughs> when I when I look back at it, it's probably deservedly so, Dad. But anyway, um, yeah. So, I think it was a a little bit like what I went through, actually. To be honest with you, like Dad being a country kid from Bathurst, good Catholic family, and then got let loose in the big city. Um, you know, in the bad old days of policing, so it was a pretty wild time in his his era. So, yeah, he um, yeah, he run a muck down there for a while, and Mum said, "That's enough. I'm going back home." So, yeah, that's really that's really the start of that story. But uh, yeah, so my my dad ended up getting posted out to Burke and a few other places like that. So I went out there as a kid uh, when I, when I could visit him, which was yeah, not not very often, but I certainly did yeah did get out there. Yeah, gotcha. And then so you guys obviously stayed in Bathurst. And you did all your schooling throughout Bathurst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, just went to a local high school there, and um, yeah, just just a pretty run of the mill kid, really. I probably stuck to myself for the most part. I was a bit of a bit, a little bit of a loner, I guess. I was happy with my own company. I used to go fishing a lot and uh, stuff like that with, you know, with my uncles. But I, I was happy enough doing it on my own too, if if no one was going with me. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty normal, normal childhood, really. Like all kids. Back then, though, shooting, shooting mad when I when I came of age for that for that change from fishing to shooting, I think, and uh, you know that that was pretty par for the course with all my mates that I went through school with. So yeah, but yeah, it was a like a, a decent childhood. My mum, my mum did a great job with my brother and I. Um, you know, uh, given the circumstances she was in, and yeah, so so that's that's the sort of pathway there. Yeah, so you complete your schooling. 1992. Yeah, 92. Got out yeah. of high school. Yeah, so yeah, right. well, what were the plans? Well, 
Look, I think I was I was hoping to spend the rest of my life shooting. To be honest with you, I spent every weekend I could with uh, with mates out on their farms, and it, it's very different to what people uh, accept these days. Because it wasn't uncommon for me back then to take my gun to school because I'd go on an early bus out to a mate's property, and uh, you know that that <laughs> that's not really the go these days. I get that. So, uh, but that, you know, as a country kid and life back then, that's that's really. You know, that wasn't unusual. Um, you know, back in those days, you used to buy buy your bullets at Kmart and all that sort of stuff and tell them you're for your dad. And, and uh, you know, like little, there was a little, little, uh, oh, little electronics shop and gift shop or something like that down the road from where I lived. And they, they sold bullets as well. So, you know, every second shop in Bathurst sold bullets. So it was really, it was not unusual at all for, for that sort of, uh, that sort of stuff. But yeah, so uh, my good old, Geography teacher used to actually, when he found out I was taking my shoot at a school, he'd say, "I oh, leave your overnight bag in my office. It's probably better." So, um, yeah, I used to leave, leave all that in his office and get on the early bus and go to my mate's farm and shoot all weekend, and then come back to school. So, you know, really, when I left school, um, I'd planned to, I, I suppose, in my head, I really, I was a, b- a bit lost. Really, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I loved the farming life that I'd that I'd spent a lot of time in with mates from school and had a few mates lived on small and large farms and used to go out and spend a lot of time out there. And I think in my head, I thought if I go, if I'm a farmer, I can shoot as much as I want. <laughs> and, I, and uh, you know, that, that'd, keep, that'd keep that little habit going. So I'd actually plan to go to Orange Ag College as a, as a uh, f- to do farm management, basically. So not being from the land, but that was a way to get the foot in the door and do that. So that was what I was planning to do when I left school. So I went and did a traineeship, uh, 12 months on the land was a prerequisite for the for the farm management degree. So started that off straight out of, virtually straight out of school uh, and yeah, stayed out there for a little while, but very quickly worked out that farming's not all about shooting. Uh, you do a lot of it, but it's bloody hard work, sunrise to sunset and some. Uh, they work very hard for not a lot. And, you know, I, I think Back then, I was getting two hundred and ninety-three bucks a fortnight. Yeah, two hundred. Sorry about that, cocky out there. Yeah, yeah. Just for the listeners, <laughs> uh, we are in this uh, mobile studio, and it's right, like literally there's just cockies everywhere. <laughs> Little buggers. <laughs> They're back. Just- Where, where's the Mossberg? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Look, I, I did that, and and uh, I, when I worked out, you know, two hundred. 300 bucks a fortnight wasn't a lot of money back then even. And, you know, property managers weren't getting a hell of a lot more than that, really. And I thought, oh, you know, that that's not really a good long-term plan. So I really seriously started looking at either the military or the cops probably after my first year on the farm. And, you know, it was great work. Like I learned so much about, you know, everything from welding to, you know, looking after sheep and cattle and driving tractors and everything like that. So it was fantastic. But and really hard work, but not sustain, not not a not a good long term plan. So, you know, I looked at, looked at the defence force at some of the the stands they had at the local field days and all that sort of that 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 sort of places, and went hmm, don't know what I want to do, but I certainly knew more about the cops. So that mm. that was an easier option, I think, um, given my my dad was in the cops. And actually, my mum remarried when I was about twelve, I think, and she married a police prosecutor. So. You know, uh, you know, having having been a kid hanging around courthouses and police stations, um, you know, the, the choice was pretty, pretty easy. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, and I guess with the military at that stage too, it was quite a, a peacetime army. Oh, yeah. so there wouldn't be too much. Uh, 
too much hype to join the army at that stage, you know what I mean? So, a couple of, couple of uh, movies, no doubt, but you know, there wasn't a lot going on, and no, I don't think it had the that had the draw card of what it probably has in the last few last you know, long time now, but yeah. Yeah, not when I was a kid. So yeah, it didn't like, and like most young kids, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll become a fighter pilot. And I spoke to the RAF guy and, and I thought, oh, that's going to be hard. Um, <laughs> and yeah, coppers came up and I still remember the day I got my letter. Actually, my boss knew I was putting in for it and and I I got called up. Uh, so back in those days, you used to, the local, the local copper from town knew me and knew my boss and everything. So he didn't bother coming out to interview me like they, they did back then, but um, he, it, it, it sort of, uh, well, when I got my letter, uh, I went down to Sydney, down to Redfern, actually the old, the old station didn't get through the original, the first try. I got failed on a, uh, memory recollection test. They'd give you a photo and you'd have to, they'd give you like 30 seconds to look at this photo. And then they'd ask you all these questions about, you know, what was the time on the clock? What was the color of this person's hat and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't pass it. So, um, <laughs> You know, and I'd really only been to Sydney, you know, literally a handful of times and driving myself down there. I think I was a stress ball by the time I got to Redfern anyway, so it's probably no surprise. And uh, one of the, one of the you, you'll, you'll laugh at this, actually, one of my trips that I do remember to Sydney in my younger days when I first got my licence was to buy a shoddy. Oh, yeah, and, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there used, to, there used to be a gun shop just near Central Railway Station, and I went in there. I had just enough money to buy this thing, so I went in there to, to buy this Mossberg pump-action shoddy and... And uh, the guy said to me, where's your gun bag? And I went, oh, I haven't got one. And he goes, oh, it won't be real good you're walking up the street because I had a park blocks away, obviously been in Sydney. And he goes, oh, they don't like that around here. And I went, and I'm like, oh, like, that's weird. <laughs> so he, yeah. wrapped, he wrapped it in a garbage bag for me so I could walk up the street <laughs> to put it in my car to drive home. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so that's sort of the contrast in my life to city life was, you know, pretty big and at that time, sure. So, uh, yeah. The so you get you get your offer to head down to Goulburn. Yeah, sorry, yes, and um, I still remember the day I got my letter, my original letter, because my boss boss rode his quad bike down to the shearing shed. I was in the shearing shed, and he handed me this letter and said, "You know, I think this is what you've been waiting for." And sure enough, that was my my offer to go down to Goulburn. So I knew I was heading off from that point in time, and yeah, that was a pretty pretty big eye opener for me. You know, like I'd literally been living in a ha- living in a little little shack on my own. Uh, out there for a couple of years by then and, you know, predominantly working on my own on the farm. You know, you get a list of jobs to do on the day, so you spend most of the day on your own and then <laughs> then they let you loose at Goulburn. And it was, a, it was a big shock to my system, to be honest with you, getting down there. You know, you, you, you get allocated a room and you've got all these people around you that you don't know and, you know, it was it was not the shock to most of them that it was to me. But, um, you know, before long you, set, you settle in, they're a good, good bunch of people all in the same boat and um, – you know, it then became it became pretty common for people to be running down the hallways with a dirty toilet brush trying to trying to take <laughs> each other out with it, and everyone running for their lives and stuff like that. I got used to it pretty quick. So, <laughs> yeah, were you in the old towers or the new towers? The old towers, yeah, ah, the old towers. Yeah. They were good. Yeah. How how long was uh, Goulburn back in those days? Yeah, six months. So six months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I certainly I, I've heard some of your uh, your guests on talking about the paid not paid type mm. thing. So well, yeah, were you paid? Oh yeah, like I, I wouldn't have been able to go if I wasn't. Like realistically, how they? Yeah. There's, that's there's, that's another chat. Yeah, there's no chance. Like I wouldn't have even looked at it if if I had to do six months with no money. Um, I, I I just don't know. I don't know how they do. I don't. That's a stupid idea. I've never never heard of anything so ridiculous. But 
you know, back when I went through, there was tradies, there was a pharmacist, there was mm. ex-army guys, there was all sorts of people with yeah, wives. Yeah, exactly. And, Mate, as, as Sam's would say, you get the better gene pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More suitable <laughs> for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, um, <laughs> I, there was. I, I remember that I went through. It wasn't long after Matt, like a couple of years. There weren't many uni students. It was you experienced human yeah, beings. Yeah, life I, experience. I was 19. Like yeah. I was 12, 18 months out of school, but. Most of the guys in my class were older. Yeah. They were tradies. They had life experience. They were married because the money allowed you to go down there and do stuff and have a good time. And but support your family if you had a family. Mm. It was um it was yeah, very few uni students, total flipped these days. Yeah, yeah. So just going back to your Goulburn life, how how did you find the policing and again, going back to the nineties, political correctness was it was probably like the the start, you know, the, the minor start of political correctness yeah. was coming in, but it did not affect, you know, militaries or the police or ambos or fireys. So, you know, you would have been caught everything under the sun. Uh, how did you find the training? Yeah, look, it was, you're right. It's compared to when I left, it was chalk and cheese. Like it was pretty full on. And we, we um, they disbanded the TRG not long before I think I went down there. So we had a, um, at, Different times, we had some ex TRG blokes that would do our PT and do some of our DEFTAC training and stuff like that. So uh, we had some really good role models in that in that space. Uh, but the training was pretty good. Like like I don't remember it being too uh, too conservative in that sense, but uh, it certainly rocked some people. Like I remember going onto the range. We we had a couple of you know obviously this all facets of learning law and then doing you know unarmed defensive tactics to, to the weapons side of things. And, you know, I remember going on a range day and they said, oh, okay, we'll be, you know, we'll be letting off shotguns and different pistols and uh, bits and pieces like that. And I remember um, some of the people in the line going in into the range crying because they were going to have to let a gun off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Uh, what? Like, I'm excited. I want to see what they got. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. people crying and I'm like, um, I don't know whether this is a job for you, you know, like, uh, you know, even at that point, but look, there's all sorts of roles in the cops. I'm sure most people find their niche, but you know, when you, when you're going through Goulburn, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of an eye opener. And, you know, some people, like I remember when we were doing something, cause I, I learned on the 38s, the old, the old six shooters. And I, like, I remember a guy next to me, he was hilarious. And, uh, we, we, we're doing our first, probably one of our first pistol drills and there's big chunks of the roof. They had that baffling stuff up on the roof and there's big chunks of the roof falling off as we're doing our, our shoot sequence. And I'm like, what the, how is he hitting the roof? Like, it was like big chunks of the baffling coming off the roof. And then I look sideways and this dude's holding his pistol up, like, like I'm holding my, yeah. Finger up in the air, but it's he was holding his pistol up in the air, and he said, "the the instructor came over and ripped him a new ass, and and he, he said, oh, the the sight is easier to see if I do that.'" <laughs> and I'm like, "Man, you don't understand yeah. the concept of a thing flying out of a like he doesn't understand the concept of it." And so he was shooting <laughs> holes in the roof, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, so that was a that was hilarious. But um, did he get booted? I don't think so. <laughs> 
I don't know. You know. <laughs> that's a red flag. Like for yeah. me, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of you. yeah. It is an armed <laughs> service, and uh, you know, if you don't get the armed bit, you will. I don't know. I think it choose something else. But I got some good stories from my days down the range. Yeah, <laughs> oh, mate, we'll keep yeah. those for your podcast. <laughs> that's what it's saying. Yeah, but yeah, look, we got belted and you know drilled and run and um, the obstacle, the obstacle course, and uh, it was pretty. It was pretty hectic. Like there's a lot to take in in that space of time. Like particularly from a legislation point of view, and people that have not. Um, studied for a while or been that good at it, trying to do assignments and things. And uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty full. I think they did a pretty decent job. Um, and how, how big were the classes back then? So I think my whole class, the the overall class was about 150 odd people. Yeah, right. Um, and my subclass had about, I don't know, 200 or, oh, sorry, yeah. or 220, uh, 20 odd people in it, I think, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Back then there was, the average class was about 150, 160. So Nine, I think it still is yeah. now, I'm pretty sure. Then they, oh, they punched out those political classes yeah. that were stupidly. Yeah. yeah. Some of the classes had a thousand. I don't even know how they put I don't know that how you guys, like for, for us come from the military, like yeah. we're a platoon size, that's it. No, they yeah, were right. Kapuga through to Singo Platoon. So you got wow. 30 guys and that's it. That's it. Well, they broke down the classes. Like, um, yeah. No, your class and you had a subclass. Because it yeah. turns yeah. into more of a university, doesn't it? Yeah, well, no, you had the class. Like, What was your class number? 263. So you would have been, what subclass? H. So you stuck with you stuck with that group. Yeah. And you all did everything with that group. Yeah. And that changed with it, went to the uni stuff. Yeah. Well, we would have gone through on the old system. It was you stuck with those blokes. Yeah, whole, gotcha. and, yeah, and you you helped each other through. Yeah, no, and of course, yeah. Do you still speak to any of the guys out of your subclass? Uh, no, not really. There's one guy that I've sort of really loosely kept in touch yeah. with. Um, a lot of them are out now. Like, there's most Same. of them are out. Now. But we were really lucky, actually. The guy that sort of became our class leader was a, a reserve lieutenant, I think. Uh, cracker of a guy and you know he really I think gelled our whole class together like his his military experience and and even down to teaching us how to iron our shirts properly properly so we didn't get a bollocking you know little bits and pieces like that uh, was just gold that he had to offer and it was so good having military people in our classes because that's how you got treated. Like if yeah. you didn't have that shit sorted, you were bollocked yeah. Yeah. and everyone would pay the price for your yeah. stupidity. And yeah. No, so. of course, because we, we are better. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, I, I remember the, the military guys helping us out through spit polishing. Like we'd go out yeah. and probably the same with you. Yeah. At the bottom of the old towers, you'd be yeah. there near the old barber. Because I had a barber there once a week and you'd be polishing your boots just outside the barbers. And yeah. it, was, it was a different experience. And you get put, yeah. caught polishing your boots in your in your stand-down oh. room and they'd come in and go off because you get yeah. polished on the carpet anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was pretty good. Like, um, I, I I don't really know. Like, I don't have, no, have any idea what it's like these days, but, uh, you know, we were certainly the very much pre that uni, uni transition and I think it changed a lot from mm. that point on. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I did join in the middle of a royal commission too. So yeah, so I was obviously a lot <laughs> of was corrupt uh, police officers kicking around at that yeah. stage. A lot. Yeah. The old yeah. paper lunch bag. Fifty-fifty. Oh. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, that was probably good because my dad and my stepfather, um, you know, probably teed me, <laughs> warned me of uh, what to watch out for, and and uh, you know, the, their advice was probably pretty pretty good for me personally. Um, and and certainly being the son of uh, uh, copper was uh, very comforting for different things that I had in my early phases too. Because you know, when when um, when I got my, when I did my student placement, my SPO pl- uh, placement out at Bathurst, I got 
you know, from Goulburn. So I think we did one month, then you'd go out to a station for a month and then you'd come back and do the rest of it, something like that. It might have been two months, one month in, in the station and three months. Yeah, that's what it was. Sorry, yes. two months, one month out and then three months back. And, you know, the half oh, I was related to one of the sergeants at the station uh, and a couple of the other old crusty blokes would work with my dad. So I didn't have that um, hesitation that a lot of the people had at the time because they didn't know who was a plant from internal affairs there was yeah, you know, gotcha. there, there was lots of that stuff going on, so they were really cautious of anyone they didn't know at that time. And just because I was a known entity, and my dad being the probably the scallywag that he was, it probably you know it, it didn't. I didn't have that problem that some of the others had that I know. Yeah, yeah, right. So you uh, obviously uh, graduate from the academy. Yep. How's how's that for you? Get your hat and your oh, yeah. ticket. Do they give yes. you a gun on the spot as well? Yeah, they do. Yeah, oh, they, literally. Do yeah. They? yeah, bloody uh, obviously don't we, do that. Well, no we more. marched out like I was the same, and you would have marched out with a gun on, yep. with six in the chamber yep. and six yep. on your hip in a speed strip, and see you later. See you. You're a cop now. You're you a cop. That's so it. yeah, it's a big day. Like it was, like, and I think it was pretty big for me because my dad and you know and my stepfather and you know, like like uh, joining that policing group was probably a bit pretty big and. You know, it's a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty huge uh, achievement. I think personally for me, I like it. You know, I always started that sort of stuff, thinking I'll never make through. Mm. I'll never make it. You know, I'm not going to get there, and then you get there, and then you're out. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, Sorry, was your old boy there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was pointing out all these other shonks and stuff oh, that were. <laughs> I, went, I went through. I went through Golden with some of the. Uh, the sons and daughters of some of the people that he, he told me to be careful of. So uh, anyway, yeah, but uh, it was pretty interesting. But, yep. How good is that? Yeah, is but that? Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, you're going to have to edit this bit out. What are we referring to you as? I was going to say Jug, but that's not. Oh, right. mate, my nickname's Jughead. Yeah, Everyone's no, naming the cops. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Cool. It's, <laughs> it's stuck since. I'm not, I'm not even going to edit that out. Oh, cool. No. Right. I was just got to be a bit careful. What? It's just because your head looks like a jug. I boob. Well, if you <laughs> want, if you want me to tell the story now, it's only quick. Yeah. So one of the guys now at homicide. Um, I was at Fairfield. I started August '97, and uh, it would have been probably maybe two or three weeks in. Uh, bloke came in and goes, "You look like Jughead from the Archie comics," and I'm yeah. like, "Who?" It stuck. Jughead stuck. Jughead never yeah. left you. Never left. And so still yeah, but, haunts me now. But you're right. Like I remember, yeah. you, you literally get your appointments, and they they kick you out of the academy from that day. So you're you're on your own until your start date at your station that you've been allocated to. So me me and a couple of mates of mine that obviously wanted to hit the town, uh, we just we got back to his place to get ready to go out and went shit. What do we do with these guns? And they used to teach you to put the handcuffs through the chamber yeah. so you couldn't close the bar the, the um. You couldn't close the chamber in the pistol, and then we just handcuffed him to his uh, a little railing in his in his uh, in his cupboard, and out on the town we went. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> but back in those days too, because like, when I got stationed at Penrith, like your your, your appointment storage, like yeah. your, your firearm and everything, was just you didn't take it out of your out of its holster. You would just hang your you hang your whole leather belt up in your locker and shut your locker for the day. So yeah, that which is not what they do these days. And, and the scary part about it was like. Everyone had a key to everyone else's locker because most people's keys had been lost and they were just given a master key. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, as you said, you uh, you get posted to Penrith, Penrith, sorry, Penrith, yeah. and yep. uh, how's that? Obviously, Penrith is holy hell. Penrith has been Penrith for the last 
since yeah. Penrith was accepted. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I wanted to head west, and they were only doing city uh, Sydney Metro placements when I went out. So you would go to what they'd call a demonstration patrol, was your first patrol, and then they'd send you to uh, a training patrol after that, after six months. So, yeah, my first six months was at Penrith, and, yeah, holy, like, my God, like, from a from a – a kid that was driving a tractor not that long before to be let loose in Penrith with the junkies and the the pub brawls and Christ knows what else. It, oh, <laughs> I, I was in a spin for a long time. There's no doubt about it. It, it was just like a life that I, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's really hard to explain, but it was intense. And, yeah. and there's lots of junkies, lots of crime, uh, really good work. Uh, ethic there. It was a super busy station like all those Western Sydney stations were, um, but great, great team of fairly junior young cops that were just getting after it. And Sorry, just going back to what, what a demo patrol is, That's yep. you're just like a third wheel. Yeah, no, nah, demonstration patrol, like They yeah, because you're in the first part of your probation, yep. um, you are three up in a car for a while. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they don't expect you to obviously just Get out, get into it straight up, but uh, you, you're buddied up with training field training officers for a bit. But yeah, that that demonstration patrol uh, was literally for you to learn the ropes to get to the point where you could be useful, and then they'd move you on to a training patrol, which usually then turned into your your first actual station placement. So yeah, so the tempo at Penrith for your demo patrol was just Heck. next level. Yeah, it was crazy. Pub fights. Yeah. yeah. And this is the first yeah. time you've seen Islanders? Yeah, God, my <laughs> God. I'd never seen anything like them. Like, I, like yeah, you go to you go to a shit fight at wherever. And, you know, I just, I still remember the first time getting out of the truck going, right, I mean, like, you, you're fairly confident, yeah. you know, like you're, you're surrounded by cops and you, you're one of the good guys. And then you jump out at one of those things and you're just like, and oh, my like, God, yeah. there's two of us. There's 15 monsters. And they're hard old. That, and Marys, like, I'm not joking. Islanders like, as well. you could, like, it's back, this is all pre, yeah. uh, pre OC spray, even, let alone tasers. So, you know, it was batten fists or guns, and that's it. And, uh, you know, holy God. Like, <laughs> and when, like, he says battens, like, it's not the, the big old, the big, big old black old one. Battens yeah, the, yeah. 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 You yeah, pick yeah. up out of the car and put them in your belt. It's, yeah. Uh, the old yeah, school sign ones. it out. And, yeah, yep. like, and, like, Hard people, you're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. so and like, I, I, I never different different breed of human. Like I'd seen then. some wild stuff out, and you know my time as a young bloke and out west working, but oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, yeah, like that was an eye opener. And yeah. um, do, you remember, you know, do you remember your first arrest? Um, I you, don't actually. Were you just like to be honest with you? No, you got to read them the rights. Is that what you have to do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've, I've been arrested caution. a couple of times, and I'm too drunk. I've been too drunk. <laughs> yeah, you're under arrest. Yeah. It's, you don't have to do anything unless yeah. you wish to say. Whatever you say, maybe use the evidence. Yeah, well, you've stuff. had that read to you a few yeah. times, mate. I've had it read to me, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a few. <laughs> uh, been that's why I'm up this end of the van. <laughs> I've, been, I've been seeing where you are a few times. Yeah, over years. But yeah, look, it was uh, it was intense, and like just chasing, you know, stolen VN Commodores and junkies, and uh, I was really lucky. I had two full on buddies that were just getting after everything, and I learned a hell of a lot real quick. But you know, it was uh, yeah, it was it was intense, and for for a country kid to get posted to Penrith, bloody hell, yeah. Anything uh, happened, you know, that was risky, the close calls or. Oh, look, in look, that first six months, you know, I mean, like just a 
the shootout? No, uh, nothing like that, unfortunately. Knives? Um, someone run at you with a knife? Or? <laughs> no, not down there. No. Like, few, few, um, you know, God, funny. Like, I, 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 it was funny at the time, but, you know, you go to these absolute shit fights and there'd be people, you know, vomiting all over the place because they've been flogged. And unfortunately, I've got this nervous reflex of laughing. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when I'm really stressed, I can come across like I'm having a great old time. And, <laughs> you know, you get to some of these things and you're laughing and people are looking at you like, you insensitive prick. <laughs> And uh, anyway, so, but no, look, lots of foot pursuits, lots yeah, yeah. of really crazy yeah. stuff. And and back in those days too, like we were, um, you know, even down to commitment warrants, like you could go and lock yeah, people up for outstanding yeah. fines and stuff. So yeah, right. yeah, yeah, you'd bank them up on shit bags for, um, uh, you know, things wait, waiting for when you needed to lock them up for yep. uh, whatever. And, you know, you, you'd, they'd have a few little fines outstanding. You'd go, you, you know, seven days to pay, you know, whatever. And it, you'd give them the seven days notice. And then it, it, if if after that seven days they hadn't paid it, there was that you can arrest them. So, yeah. you know, even if it was for 50 bucks and they'd cut out 100 bucks a day in yeah, custody. Yeah, 100 bucks 100 a day bucks in custody, yeah. yeah. So they, they yeah. were a really good tool that we no longer have. And, um, and they still do actually, that in the U.S. too. Do still, they? Yeah, they still do. do. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. You just reminded me actually too, because back then I, I don't I don't know with you, Jug, but I remember like, like fleeing felon, shooting fleeing yep. felons, because shooting fleeing felons back yeah. then. Yeah, so we used yeah. to have to rote learn the legislation <laughs> yeah. around shooting fleeing felons. Yeah. So you'd go to your shoot, and they they you verbatim you'd have to recite the legislation about your parameters to shoot fleeing felons. Yeah. So if someone had committed a felony crime that involved violence, and they ran away from you, and they hadn't been tried at court, you could shoot them in the back. Mm. And, and there was uh, also the bring it yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Are they yeah, listening? Yeah. Bring it back. Yeah. There was a, a lot of changes. Like you could even if there was um going over the wall at a jail. Yeah, that's we, right. Yeah, yeah. Jail, we could. I'm pretty sure we could shoot them. Yeah, as well, same we? deal. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's, um, there's lots of little things like that aren't there anymore. And no. commitment warrants just made me think yeah. of it. But but you know back then um it, it was wild and and. Penrith had a pretty big holding station, mm. like big big holding cells, and you know we used to do the manual fingerprints back then, rolling out the ink on the, oh, on yeah, the thing, right. roll their fingers, and not many good. Well, actually, the good crooks were okay with it; they'd fingerprint themselves actually, yeah. but the the wannabe hard asses would fight you the whole way. So, uh, you know, I, I do remember one time that we used to have a guy that was a, a ex, oh, well, not ex, but he was a, he was a Commonwealth Games silver medalist as a wrestler, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this bloke was playing up once, and uh, we he's said, "You better be careful, armor. man." He's uh, he's on duty, and uh, sure enough, he came out the back and gave him one warning. And the next thing you know, this bloke come out all contorted into a ball. <laughs> we very willing to have his fingerprints taken, yeah. then. so yeah, <laughs> so little things like that, you know. But they were good times, and really good bonding stuff. Like I, I know it's sort of frowned on, but every Thursday, because we used to do seven nights of night shift straight back then on eight-hour shifts. So you do seven nights of night shift, and it was just virtually compulsory to go out on the cans at 7 a.m. It was sort of frowned on and, if you didn't, like you were, oh, yeah, who you, were you working for. Yeah, yes. that's right. Yeah. yeah, And particularly in During those the times, yeah. if you didn't go, they'd be like, huh, yeah. we know who you work for. And, uh, you know, but anyway, yeah, we had some great times, you know, and it wasn't uncommon to be still on the cans at, you know, 10 p.m. that night after working oh, all night. Oh, yeah. This sounds like you know, the stuff I want like to be that. part of. Yeah, <laughs> this sounds yeah. like the army. It was, it, it was good. <laughs> they yeah. say there was the culture. And it was yeah. it, it was it was a good culture. Yeah. yeah. It was you looked after your mates and you were with your mates and you hung out with your mates. Yeah. It was yeah. It, I don't I yeah, I I never had any dramas and I'm guessing you were a couple of years ahead of me, so Yeah, I I, I th- it's sad that it's gone. Yeah. Uh, because there was a lot of 
you know, not only just debriefing about stuff, but it's just that company and companionship you, that builds that team and builds that, you know, really solid group that does yeah, of course, hard yeah. shit and yeah. you, you, you trust each other and you know each other really well, both personally and professionally and, yeah. And yeah, you, right. You sort of, I don't know how it was with you, but if you, they didn't put shit on you, you, you weren't in. You weren't one of the, the people. If they ignored you and you didn't get invited along the things, you weren't in. Mm. And you were sort of on the outer, but I'm guessing I come after you, so it would have been pretty much the same with you. Yeah, exactly well. the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you weren't having those beers, you weren't in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so you finish your demo patrol six months at uh, the Riff. Yeah, <laughs> you move on to Katoomba. Yep, as your training patrol. So explain to me, you know, and for the rest of us dumb army guys, what a training patrol is. <laughs> yeah, so it's really the continuation of the second half of your probation year. So. Uh, you just probably expected from that point on to do a bit more uh, work as a as a, in charge of different low level matters and and you know you're certainly a number on the truck by then so you're you're just paired up with someone else that's not a probationer generally gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah so it's, it's just a continuation of your training and and uh, we used to your probation year was you still had to submit some assignments and stuff, I think, didn't we? And then to get oh, your confirmation at the end, I think you had to do... No, the old case studies. Remember those? Yeah, you had to submit some work yeah. during your probation year to, to get that first, you know, to get confirmed as a constable. So, yeah, so that was... that was, But that was bloody hell. Like, Katoomba was a big change mm. from Penrith. Uh, you know, much older workforce, uh, very different work environment compared to Penrith. It was... <laughs> yeah... <laughs> It was like, well, I don't like saying it was like going to Sleepy Hollow because it wasn't. But, you know, we I remember doing eight-hour night shifts, doing those seven nights of night shifts, and we would have sometimes days in a row where you would not get one job yeah, right. all night. Oh, shit. So, you know, that's very different to the city. Yeah. And no internet. No, nothing. Uh, stick mags. Yeah. <laughs> the old picture mags. Yeah, it was crazy. So, you know, you'd be out trying to find shit. Like, you'd be out hunting, but, uh, you know, you didn't have that workload. And that was good in that way because you could actually make your own fun and, you know, you could you could, you could could get it. You could you could literally get after people that needed getting after because mm. uh, you weren't chasing your tail. So, but, you know, there were some lazy old bastards that were probably broken down and should have left years ago up there too. So it's a bit hard when you're working with a senior guy and they don't want to go out. Well, you don't go out. And, you know, that that's when you're young and want to get into everything, that's a that's a killer. And, uh, you know, it's really frustrating when, you, when you've got someone like that that just wants to watch TV and wait for a job. Especially somewhere that quiet. Yeah. Sort of that, that, that yeah, yeah. But, but it was really different work too. Like there lots of drugs up there. There's, you know, it was uh, that hippie, you know, a lot of heroin and stuff like that back then. But it was, you know, you got the hippies. You, uh, it was it was just a really different demographic up there compared to Penrith. Yeah, yeah, which is probably a good thing. A bit of a, yeah. a relaxing period in a way. <laughs> uh, it says here... You got into a punch on with a drunk concreter. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so for twenty I, I minutes. Probably got to paint a picture of that. So <laughs> think, things were that casual up there. Like you didn't even wear your gun belt doing station duty. So, but it's really it was compared to the the um. There's that cocky again. Um, compared to Penrith, like you only had one car crew, one supervisor, and one person in the station for all shifts other than like day shift. Um. So you're like you have one car and one supervisor, 
And if you had someone in custody, it was really difficult too because you and the supervisor were pretty much stuck in the station. Your car crew's it for, you know, 20 minutes either side. You've got Lithgow down the hill and, uh, and you know, Springwood down the other way. So you've sort of 20 minutes. But I think – I can't remember whether they were at a fatal prang out on the Bells Line of Road or something one night. They were all tied up, but this taxi this taxi driver comes in and goes, oh, I've got this guy in the car. He's, he's thrown up. And I'm like, oh, God. You know, I walked out like and, and literally just wearing a blue shirt, blue pants. That's it. That's me. Um, no, no appointments, no nothing. And you know, I got out there, and the taxi driver goes. The taxi driver's like, ah, well, you know, can you get him out of my cab? So I, I took this pissed idiot by the arm and started dragging him out. And I, as soon as I grabbed him by the arm, I went, "Oh my god, you're a big boy!" And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I started yanking him out of the car. And it's the moment he got clear of the door, Straight the taxi on. driver hammers it and he's gone and I'm like oh my god this bloke's gone from a sleeping drunk to wanting to punch on and it's on like we were literally scrapping and punching oh my god like I was just lucky he was pissed because he was he was a much bigger unit than I was and and uh you know we've I fought and dragged and fought and dragged him back to the doors of the station got finally got him into the station and I was like I was knackered like and I say 20 minutes, so I think that's probably a bit of an exaggeration because I, w- I don't know whether I would have still been there. But, mate, we fought for so long it wasn't funny. And I finally dragged him far enough into the station where I could grab the old station CB radio, like the, the station radio. We had a, sta- uh, a station radio up there and grabbed it and, you know, just jumped on and said, Katoomba Station Urgent. That's all I got out, I think. And, you know, then the other car crew, I think, were tied up at a fatal prank or something. They couldn't even come back. So I was waiting for someone from Lithgow, I think. And I, like, I, by the time they got there, I'd got him into the charge room and sort of dragged him in there. But you know, those sort of things were it really when you realise you're on your own. <laughs> you know, and uh, I probably didn't even learn my lesson. I probably still didn't even wear my appointments after that. But <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just that was just how we did it. it we didn't worry about the. You know, that wearing your gun belt all night was a pain in the ass. So you but, just didn't but, wear it. <laughs> yeah, but back then, like that would have been what late nineties. Yeah, you still we only had a thirty eight. Yeah, there was nothing yeah, yeah. else. It's not a tasers OC, no, no, and it was the old no. thick leather belts, and yeah. they, they're not comfy. Nah, especially when you sit there all eight or twelve hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is your first uh, twelve months in the police force. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, yeah, straight pretty, into it. Yeah, straight yeah, into that's policing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like there's no there's no sort of easing into it. You're 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 either there or you're not, and you never know what's going to happen. You know, like it's uh, it, it is what it is, and. It's it's quite funny because the the amount of crazy stuff that happens in every town would blow most people's minds. Like even little old sleepy country towns have some crazy stuff go on that no one ever hears about, and that that's sort of uh, I guess that's policing and and having you know because I've I've been in the the retained fire brigade on call fire brigade with fire rescue as well, and it's it, there's nothing really that compares to the policing because you've got to do so many aspects of a job that none of the other agencies do probably closest closest would be the ambos but you know even down to doing all the investigative stuff with coronials and or or criminal and the protracted involvement you have with some of these matters is is just really different in the cops and yeah yeah right and then uh so you finish that uh your training training patrol yeah 18 months into the job then you move to yeah, little old Lawson. Lawson, yeah. five staff. Yeah, so I, I went out on my way to try and get that uh, that place there because you're predominantly working on your own, so you didn't have to worry about who you were getting rostered on with, and you could get, you could get into it. And uh, 
you know that was a really that was a really cool team down there at the time. The the uh, OIC of the station was just mad. Like he, he was, he just he was fairly senior, but he would just get into everything. And uh, really sad story, actually. He's he's another one of my friends that tried to kill themselves later on. But um, yeah, right. Yeah, he um, really good guy and just got a go getter. Like wanted bodies in the in the cells, backed you up. Um, so and expected you to, and and one of his funny little games actually, <laughs> I've, I've I've only just remembered this. One of his funny little games used to be in the station. If you because on Arvo's and later shifts, you'd sometimes pair up with someone else because it's it's obviously safer working with someone else when you when you're doing later shifts. And he, if you didn't, if you couldn't see him in the station, you were shitting yourself because he would be hiding somewhere <laughs> to try and pounce on you or frighten you because he, he said, you've always got to be ready. And he said, you don't know who could be in here. Like that was his little game with us. Like he'd, he'd, he'd bloody pounce on you. And like, <laughs> so, but he, he, he was like that. Like he wanted you ready for anything all the time. And, you know, it, it was good fun actually working down there when, on your own end and with the, with the other people down there, that was, that was just full on. Yeah. Is that a substation of Katuma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a sector station. So it was a non twenty four hour station, but they class them as a sector, a policing sector of that patrol. So mm. yeah, that while they were on duty, they had respond like they basically covered yeah. a, a, that area. And when they weren't on the other state, the twenty four hour stations would cover it. So yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, sweet. No, no. Yeah. Uh, all right, back. Just had a quick break. Now we're just talking about uh, you in Lawson. Yep. And uh, from there, you move again, like. Yeah, so within the one sort of uh, patrol or one command, I got I moved around a little bit. So I went back to Katoomba for a little while before I went to the one-man station at Blackheath. So, yeah, so I went back to Katoomba for a little while. I can't remember how long, maybe a year or something, probably not quite. But, yeah, back back there. And, you know, I, I probably painted a bit of a wrong picture before because there were some colourful characters there. There was one guy, I'm pretty sure, he's dead now, but I'm pretty sure he was an ex-Vietnam guy. Intense as hell, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, pity the poor crooks that wouldn't get out of the truck for him because, like, he just – like, even just working with him, he just – the way he spoke to you was just intense. Direct. Was, oh, yeah. my God. It was just different. And, you know, if if you gave a bloke a warning – like, you'd bring a prisoner back in the truck and you'd take him into the van dock so they're secured, they can't escape. But sometimes they just want to get out. I, yeah. I just want to play up, and it's actually really hard to get someone out of a car that. When you say the trucks, were, yeah. were you driving the Rodeos or the F one fifty? No, no, we had the Nissan patrols up there because oh, okay. it was a cold climate area. Yeah. We had to have four wheel drives for winter and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we didn't have the Rodeos up there. We had they were all patrols and they're a bass of a thing. But, um, but yeah, we did uh, we did have a Rodeo for a while, I, I think, up there. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Roy used to get him out. He, uh, he he used to get him out of there all right because he'd get in there with him, and, and they'd come out head first. And uh, yeah, so yeah, they got they got fair warning, but um, you know, no mucking around with them after that point in time with Roy. So, but you know, he was he was really detached actually because I remember doing a uh, like a, a bloke that had suicided in a car, gassed himself. So pretty straightforward job. Get down there, and uh, that was back before forensics used to get called all the deadens. So. You used to do your own photos at, at crime scenes uh, right up until s- sort of fairly suspicious stuff, just with a little old station camera, like a, a station camera that was just a typical little Kodak film camera. And 
I, I remember what he he wasn't happy with me because it would would have been my job as a junior boy to on the truck to make sure it had film in it when we uh, we signed it out for the day <laughs> and it didn't have film in it and we get down and we if we're going to take these photos of this guy that offered himself in a car and. Um, uh, the neighbour was the one that rang it in, and he was he'd come out and talk to us a little bit. And then when the camera wouldn't work, Roy goes next door and knocks on the door and goes, "Hey, have you got a camera?" And the guy goes, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "We're going to need it." And he, <laughs> the guy comes out with a with an SLR camera, oh, and Roy yeah. looks at it and goes, "I don't know how to use that. Come over here." So he, he gets the neighbour to come and take all the scene photos wow. with his camera, and I'm like, <laughs> hey, I, "I was trying to say, hey, Roy, I know how to use it." He wouldn't let me talk, and he just got the neighbour to take all the photos of his dead neighbour um, in the car and all the all the pipes and all that sort of stuff, and then just took the film off him and off we went. I remember when we were done, and we used to get those things. I was only telling someone this the, not long ago for court and stuff like that. We used to get films developed. You you used to have to send them off, yeah. But if you were in a rush and you wouldn't weren't going to get it through through the department quick enough for court or whatever. You would get them developed at a local place. Some they used to have the twenty-four hour development places, and then they also had those places at the chemist where they'd have the machine, and the photos would roll through, uh, in as a as like a promo thing. The people's photos would show up in the window as it's rolling through the machine. So we got asked one day to not send any more of those type of films to the <laughs> to them because they were. Spearing out crime scene shots through the uh, through the window to the general public, and, uh, yeah. So uh, we used to have to tell them if they were not suitable for yeah, public right. display. Yeah, so yeah. funny little things like that. But yeah, Roy was a he was a character. And, Just quickly um, on that, like the person that was obviously printing these, they would have seen. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. How are they not claiming PTSD now? <laughs> they probably have. You, you couldn't do it these days. Yeah, yeah, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get away with it these yeah. days. But yeah, 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 crazy. So, and that's you had to make do. Like it was. Um, you know, a film camera, and that's if the chemist up the road had the one-hour development thing, and you were you, you'd been unorganised and needed it for court. That's where it went. So yeah, when you said the um, the guy wouldn't talk to you, do you remember this old saying? Seen the constable seen and not heard. Did you ever hear yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they used to say to us, the probationary seen and not heard, or the constable's seen and not heard. I remember that a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, sit and there and shut up. <laughs> so a lot of the a lot, a lot of the older older guys were still fairly regimented in their way they did business, yeah. and and even back when I started in Penrith, like we'd have day shift, we'd have a, a formal parade to start the shift, which everyone would go to the muster room. The off like the inspector would walk in, everyone would stand up, yeah. they'd do a roll call to be sir uh, or sergeant or whoever was running the parade, and then you'd get back down. But that's all that sort of stuff's gone now. Yeah, you so. allocated your cars, and yeah, that's right. They'd read out yeah. you, you're on. You know, you're on Penrith, you're Penrith one with whatever, and yeah. um, yeah, that's when you found out what you're doing for the day, and then you get your jobs and off you go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, that's sort of that's very different these days. So there's no picking and choosing who you worked with, and oh, I don't want to <laughs> work with him. I don't want with him. Well, too bad you work. Get with over him. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too bad to say. yeah. yeah uh, but anyway, so some of those sort of colourful characters, sort of uh, fond memories. But you know, there were a lot of broken down people, and like when you look back at it, there's a lot of people that were damaged now that I now that I know what I know about PTSD, I look mm. back at some of my supervisors and some of the people I work with and went, Man, they they you know, they were they were wrecked. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from what was that little station you went to? What was it? So Blackheath, yeah. Black so East, it's a yeah. little one man like Blackheath up in the top of the Blue Mountains. Uh so yeah, there's a one man station there. Uh, yeah, with a house. So a house was part of the station. So yeah, you, right. you lived in the station, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, gotcha. And yeah. then from there, you look at, I don't know, like, you got a 
explain this to me, joining the OSG. Yeah, is, so, is there like an application process to do this or? Yeah, there, would have, a, there would have been. like So uh, in, in general duties, you, you can sometimes get on to part-time, other part-time positions. So uh, OSG was one of those things that I, I wanted to do because it, it was new. Like it, it had been, I guess it was a bit of a pickup from where the TRG had been disbanded and they knew they needed this operational support capability, which is OSG's now pause effectively. It's yes, the same sort it's of like thing. A public right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Like public yeah. order, bomb public, searching, yep. that sort of stuff. Yeah, operational yeah, support yeah, work. So yeah. so yeah, I put in for that. And and I, I wanted to chase that sort of stuff because not only did you get to go and do some more interesting work other than going to domestics and noise complaints and bullshit like that, but um you know, it was a for me it was a bit of a step in getting more training, um, you know, doing some Stuff that I would call more more like police work, and yeah, so got got on that, and that was that was actually Macquarie Region. So that the region that that I was in then was Macquarie Region, and it, and it was uh, the first course that they'd ever run in operational sport. It was run by a crazy guy that was a lieutenant in one commando, I think, in the yeah, reserves. Right. Yeah, mad. He was mad, but they were making a lot of the course up with the old TRG guys on the fly, I think, because they just flogged us for two weeks straight. Like to to the point, lots of us broke. <laughs> Where did you do? Was um, that like mine? Was at Holsworthy? Um, no, we did most of ours out at the John Maroney Correction Centre, and yeah, and yeah. they used that facility. But like we did crazy stuff on ours. Like we we even got sent through Butterbox Canyon uh, up in the Blue Mountains as a as a day out, like as a, as an activity on the day. And I think there might have been about 20, 20 odd twenty to thirty people in in my OSG course. So they sent us through Butterbox Canyon, which is not not an easy canyon by any stretch. Uh, a big day, you know. You usually you would go into that with wetsuits and all the right gear. They sent us in there in cotton overalls. Thirty of us in a group, which is just like a death trap, because you you get stuck on all the abseils, freezing cold water. Um, you know, it was crazy. Like one guy nearly bloody drowned, and uh, <laughs> it was like what I know about canyoning and and that sort of thing. Now it was crazy, but that was part of the course. So yeah, right. Yeah, they just did it as a as a you know hard activity and tested you, and they had these. Little, uh, these ultra fit little guys from the commandos were up there helping helping him out for the day, and yeah, they're from the mountain warfare section. So I don't know some of them or other, but yeah, um, yeah, that was that was pretty weird. Yeah, because I remember doing the public order stuff. Like now they throw little bricks of timber at you. We we're getting bricks and oh, yeah, molotovs. Yeah, no, yeah. no we, oh, we didn't get molotovs. Did you get molotovs? No, not yeah. quite. We got yeah. molotovs in the army. Yeah, because our, our overalls, even though you're a public order, you yeah. They weren't flame retardant. No, not the, no, not the, the first blue, ones. The yeah. blue ones went up like a well, yeah. polyester. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they melted. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. So that that was a good course, and the, you know, the I, slow I, entries. Yeah, 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 cool yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell stories. Um, oh, that, but, maybe later we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that that was a really that was a really good uh, addition, I guess, to the the suite of capabilities for, as a GD guy, and got got sent on some good jobs, I, I guess, over the years. With because I'd done that course and ended up doing the team leaders course in that later on. Yeah, got so you always have that qualification. So yeah, you had to go and do an annual yeah. recertification okay, sort yeah. of business. Gotcha. But yeah, you, like you did, you did it sort of as a part time thing. So if they needed you, they'd deploy you, and uh, yeah, and 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 also you got to go and do a, a week of cool training a year yeah. to do your rear cred for it. So that like compared to what training you get, what what training you don't get in general duties, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. And you did a bit of CBRN. Yeah, so it was a bit of a lead into the Olympics too. I think yeah. they they obviously realised they needed the capabilities that they didn't have for the Olympics. So, 
98 in the lead up. Yeah, did CBRN with the guys at Holsworthy, the, the chemical nuclear guys from the army down there. And uh, we got transitioned to Glocks earlier than everyone else to. Oh, yeah, right. Yep. And uh, pre the standardization of OC spray, we we're actually, we got guinea pigged for it. Oh, did uh, yeah, my, my class, um, the, the bloke that ran our course ended up getting these guy from America, this big fat guy from America that had all these different OC sprays and they just lined us up like lemmings <laughs> doing this <laughs> test. Yeah, absolutely. They were <laughs> wow. testing us with it and they had these foam things, these stream things, these yeah. misting things. They'd just line us up and say, here's a, here's a foam baton, attack this person and you just run, get sprayed, fall down, wash your face, drag you into a shower, get you operational again and get back on the line, do it again. And we just rotated through to doing all this testing yeah, for right. OC spray wow. before they actually adopted it. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> they, do that so they, I know, it's like pig testing. Yeah, yeah. Testing on animals. Yeah. And I do, I do laugh because some, <laughs> like some of it you had to sign a waiver for with, um, you know, saying I think the CS training and stuff we did yeah. at the Army base, we, we, we all had to line up and do this, sign these waivers to say it's a carcinogenic and blah, 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 blah. But if you don't sign it, you're off the course. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. Sign here. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay, yes. Where yeah. Was I? Yeah. I remember them pumping that CS gas into those chambers and yeah. it was thick. I know. Yeah, it was bad stuff. Yeah, I'm going to get myself some of those little tablets from I had somewhere. Blood <laughs> flying out of my head everywhere after that oh. because I, I got in there and did the mask off um, sequence yeah. and mm. had this big sneezing attack and it <laughs> sent it all up into my sinuses. And the nurse told me later on, and my sinuses had all clamped up and locked all the crystals up in my sinuses and just burnt the crap out of them. Oh, and I had wow. blood. Pouring out of my head for ages, but uh, anyway, yeah, nice story. <laughs> you volunteer for this stuff, so yeah. Yeah. So at this stage, you do that two weeks in 1998. Yep. Uh, 99 police rescue course. This is where. Yeah. I guess the rest of your career starts yeah, following much. A, a direction. And and I think going back to uh, the Threadbow landslide with because uh, Katoomba at the time had one full time rescue coordinator and about 10 part-time people. So, again, it was another course that you could do as a general duties person or some other duties, and you did it as a part-time thing where you're on call for it. So, yeah, I remember the I remember the Threadbow landslide happening and seeing all the guys getting geared up and heading off down there and thought, man, that's like, I want to be part of that, but couldn't. And 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 certainly my living up in the Blue Mountains, I'd, I'd really gotten into outdoor rope sports like canyoning and a little bit of climbing. I was always too bloody heavy for climbing, but... A uh, little bit of climbing and, uh, you know, a lot of bushwalking. Just I love, love being out in the mountains. And, you know, I thought, yeah, okay, I can do this at work too. So, you know, that's sort of where I guess that drew my uh, uh, drew my attention to, to get into it and do it. So, yeah, 99, went down and did the course. It was, was it just got backing it up. Is, it, is there an application process? Is it a, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. you got to apply. Like there's got to be a vacancy to go into first and then – they vet you f- for that sort of stuff that was very much of like of, yeah, you can apply, but if they didn't want you, your, yeah, your application yeah. wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, but I, I, I think I'd probably shown my interest in certainly the bushcraft side of things and the, the, the remote area stuff uh, but before then um, just because they knew what I was doing on my days off. So, yeah, and, yeah, got, got on that course, went and did it six weeks down in Zetland, uh, down in Sydney, uh, as a course, it was um, it was old, you know. Like um, I, I think probably there's a, a lot of people have asked me whether I used to watch that Police Rescue Squad show, which with Gary Sweet and a few others in it. I don't really remember ever watching it, but um, 
it was sort of of that era and and you know realistically the the training some of the training like the people down there were really experienced operators they'd done a lot of work and you could tell they knew what they were doing but the actual the gear the core like the um uh, the content, not necessarily the road crash stuff. It was probably about up to date, but mm. a lot of the the vertical rescue stuff was getting pretty old, old techniques, I guess, from what I'd known as a, a, a doing it as a um, recreational uh, roper up in the mountains. It was very old stuff, and um, but you know you had to you got to do the course and you get through it and shut your mouth and <laughs> tick the boxes. Yeah, but it yeah. was it was a cool course, you know. <laughs> yeah. like, we got to do stuff like. We, I walk up on top of Sydney Harbour Bridge one night with no like no harnesses or nothing like that. We took our no cameras way. up there and and we got abseil off off one of the pylons of right. the of the uh, yeah, Harbour right. Bridge. And an army guy tried to do that. He stopped all the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, like it was a combination of everything. Like you got to learn so much stuff in that time. Uh, it's not funny. Like everything from cutting up cars to cutting rings off people's fingers. Yeah, yeah. Helo um, stuff. Any helo stuff. We didn't do much there because Hilo it was just work, like a short, yeah. Short so Hilo course. work for most police rescue areas wasn't very big, other than the Blue Mountains. Yeah. So a lot of what we did, we ended up doing later on with the Ambos and Care Flight back in the day uh, locally because it was sort of a bit of a niche for us up in the mountains. But yeah, so it was a pretty intense course, long, long course, and um, yeah. Yeah, there, yeah right. there is a funny story about not being my back then. We I think we were the first generation mobile phones that were pocket sized things, and you know you're meant to be contactable. And my uh, my now wife was heading down to Sydney to meet up with me, but the other people had taken me to this underground place where people took all their clothes off and. <laughs> I'd, I'd never You've seen been a strip club. I've, I've heard this story before. <laughs> I, I'd never seen anything like it, and I'm there going, "Holy crap!" And uh, because we were underground, the phone didn't work, and my wife had been driving around Sydney for hours waiting to me, for me to answer the phone. And I've surfaced, <laughs> literally going, "Hello!" And I've got a bollocking, and I thought, "How do I tell her why I, why I couldn't get the phone?" I don't know. You're doing a rescue. I was busy, but anyway, that, that was our that was our passing the course celebration outing. So uh, yeah, anyway, but yeah, um, Porky's and King were, Cross was it? Oh, they, no, they, they were always good. Gentleman, gentlemen's club is that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. gentlemen's. I think that's what it was Something like that. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> in the course drinks, it doesn't matter. I don't think whatever course it was in the cops back in those days, it was always yeah, yeah. I remember the ones out at um. The OSG ones were always good too. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. So I can't guess what the rescue blast would have been like. <laughs> but it was pretty it was. tough for us because uh, while I was stationed right up in the Blue Mountains, the stupid part about the cops is this is how well I look after their people. They've designated uh, a particular area, the um, Sydney metro area, where there's no yeah. travel entitlement. So all the way from, you know, Katoomba, they can make you do a course in city of Sydney with no travel entitlements. So basically, they roster you. Oh on. yeah, gotcha. So your yeah. rostered shift is not Katoomba. Your rostered shift is Zetland. Oh shit! So they don't pay you travel. They don't give you accommodation. No nothing. nothing. But if you're at Lithgow, like 15 minutes down the road, you get accommodation, you get travel, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas for us, it was like God. So we were sleeping on the floors and. You know, just in the back of the, you know, in, a, in an old disused demand yeah. thing down there. So from nineteen ninety eight through to say two thousand two, yep. you're at Katoomba still, but during all these courses in between. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. So, and um, yeah, so I got stationed up to Blackheath. Oh, I don't know. Was, uh, I'm pretty sure I was in there when the Twin Towers came down. So 
probably around a two. Uh, no, no, I was I was up there for the Olympics. Yeah, I was definitely in there for the Olympics. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. L- let's touch on uh, September eleventh, mm. uh, two thousand one again. Game changer for anyone and everyone. Well, what? Could you imagine what the Sydney Olympics would have been like if two thousand and like two thousand and one had happened before then? Yeah. It was such bullshit. Some of the stuff they made us do down there, you're like you're searching trucks three blocks away from where they were yeah. entering the secured precinct. Yeah. And I'm like, what's to stop this guy stopping down the road and loading it up with explosives? Like and they just had to make it work. But the security threat wasn't there. And you know, we like we like like no doubt you jug like we just spent months and months and months getting ready, searching stuff, getting it prepared, yep. uh, and that was all operational support group stuff. So they used us for a lot of the, mm. the labouring, and like I, I did some cool stuff, getting under you know government house and all that sort of stuff, searching different things. But yeah, uh, yeah it was a lot of lot of mundane search stuff. And then when the Olympics were on, we we had a pretty good time. Uh, but you, yeah, were you in the group that did the Hilo stuff for the Chinooks? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we got yeah we got we got uh, we did some training with the military about um, you know urgent deployments. Mm. So mm. we got we we got thrown in the back of a Chinook and taken for a flight and practice getting in and out pretty quickly. So yeah, some of that training was super cool. Like stuff that I still look back at and go, wow, that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, right. For someone like me, never yeah. been in the military, getting to go in a Chinook. Yeah. Um. But cool. yeah, so that that sort of stuff was pretty cool. Um. Yeah, yeah, so September just touching, 11, yeah, touching on that day, September 11. Yeah, I, I remember my wife waking me up and, um, yeah, just going, my God, you've got to look at this. And I, I must have been on shift. I, I can't even remember the time of the day, but I remember her saying, just get up and have a look at this. And look at it and went, holy hell. Like, I, it's just disbelief, you know, realistically. Yeah. It's like, that can't be real. Like, you're looking at it and then it happened again and it's like, oh, my God. Like, that's not actually a mistake. That's intentional. That, that's when I think it dawned on me that when the second one hit, I went, Wow, that's planned. Like that's not that's not a mistake. That's actually that's the you know, that's happened. And yeah, wow. Like what a what a day. And did anything change for you guys? Because obviously the threat level for the bases all went nuts had bloody APCs out I, the front and fifty I cows and barracks. I wasn't in the country. Yeah, right. I was standing Where outside. I was in Italy. I was standing Where outside. Where were you, I'm asking? In, in Italy. <laughs> no. Um, I was in Rome. I was standing outside. Gentleman's Club. No, Gentleman's no. I thought you might have been up to mischief with some of your mates. <laughs> no, no. I was, <laughs> no, I was standing outside the uh, the fountain. The, uh, it's Trevi? Trevi. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. In Rome. Yeah, right. And, um, God almighty. I got, being overseas at the time, seeing everything the day before mm. and the day after, Day the world changed. Yeah, where there yeah. was one cop, there was four. Where there was two soldiers at the 100%, airport, yeah. there was four. Yeah, England, there was tank. There was yeah. the armored personnel carriers. The paras are out the front. It, the world changed overnight. Yeah, yeah, and it never went back. But yeah, we're, but I think work wise for us, really nothing really changed. We probably got briefed on you know the the Richmond Air Base. Yeah, was really yeah. the only asset near Threat us. Threat level was just up. Yeah, just bit, telling yeah. us you know if you have to go there and yeah. But other than that, not a lot really. Uh, changed operationally for yeah. us, other than saying, you know, Just, you might get sent somewhere. But Yeah, increase the patrols in Bagstown. Well, they brought, in a, <laughs> they brought in a term I don't think, I don't even remember being before September 11, which was critical infrastructure. And we were doing patrols of critical yeah. infrastructure, gas pipelines. Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff. That's Actually, the only, just reminded yeah. me, yeah, because we, we had uh, stuff like the, um, the radar for Sydney Airport is at Mount Boyce. So we just have to go up there and check it and make sure no one's hanging around. And that sort of little bits and pieces like that happen. But, but how long did you spend there? Like 30 seconds or a minute? Like, drive by. Yeah, that's it. Done. It's Who wants to be up yeah. there? It's cold. It's windy. Yeah. No one's going <laughs> to. Yeah, typical Blue Mountains. <laughs> 
So from there, you're back to Blackheath. Police station. Yeah. Use yeah, one yeah. up. Just Yeah, working on my own there. So. On own. But it was good in the sense that uh, I was able to be on call for the rescue squad constantly. So uh, when you're on the main vehicle, like the main response vehicle at a station, you're really tied to it because they can't, they can't really take you offline very easily. So half some of my motivation was definitely to make myself available for those more interesting duties, as I would call them. But yeah, so I worked out of there on my own. Um, how, far, how far is the closest? Or what's the closest backup? Uh, 10 minutes from Katoomba, flat out. Yeah. Oh, it's not too bad. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. not bad. But, you know, realistically, it was a it was a nice to have open type station where normally they were getting covered from Katoomba anyway. So yeah. if you weren't rostered on yeah. and it wasn't major, they weren't going to call you out. And But, you know, working on your own keeps your eyes open. You know, mm. like it's... Uh, yeah, you, you, you're it. Yeah, and I was used to it from working at Lawson, but you know, working on your own, you got to, you got to be, you got to be careful. And yeah, you got to know yeah, what's course, going yeah. on. And yeah, it's sort of it's different compared to what most people know. But I, I sort of enjoyed that, and I think you know, back then, I'm certainly not these days, but back then, I was pretty confident in my my abilities and capabilities, and tried not to step out of them too much. But uh, you know, the, the cops always throws you that curveball, and yeah, little little things happen. Like, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I've had a thousand jobs, but one one of the things that I know you guys were talking about on one of the other podcasts was, um, you know, just doing the right thing. And and one of the things that used to irk me was things like violent domestics, where the mm. policy was you would have to stand by uh, until backup arrived if you're on your own. And I'm like, if there's some lady getting punched in a no, house, no, no chance. I'm going straight I'm, in. What? I'd rather him be punching yeah. me than her. So you know, I'm yeah. You'd get on the radio and say, yeah, copy that, <laughs> and they'd be calling you, and you'd just be like, I'm not answering. Like, I'm going to go. And yeah. Go. And, you know, little things like that, you're always you're always getting in a bit of trouble for it, saying, you know, you blah, 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 blah. It's like, but whatever, you know. You're not a little bloke. You're six, nah. foot, two, six foot three, and we always called him the mountain man yeah. because he was the biggest <laughs> bloke in our team. Yeah, right. And, um, and the widest now. Yeah, he's not little. <laughs> And you tell on the bloke like that to stand yeah, by and wait, and it. then the next one coming is probably maybe a five foot four. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. yeah, it's crazy. That's, so a, like, that's a debrief chat. That's yeah, a debrief yeah. Chat. yeah. So some of those yeah. things you should drive you mad working alone, yeah. and the like, same as working like late nights and stuff. When you know when you could catch catch the crooks, you know they they're not out at eight am, and yeah. you know I used to I used to like chasing them. So, but it was it was tough, you know. Like it's it working in a in a, in a little town when everyone knows where you live and all that sort of stuff is very different. And, you know, just going up to get your milk, you get pestered. You know, you'd be on a day off, you're going up to get some milk and someone's got something to tell you about someone. So you've got to factor all that in for the fact you'd walk up. And if we're in a hurry, my wife would go up and grab the milk because I might get caught. And, yeah, but little, little, uh, you know, not well, not so little things. It, it, it takes a big toll on you uh, because you're always ready. You're, you're always waiting for something to happen or someone to turn up. You know, we had domestics turn up on the door where, you know, women are turning up, they're flogged with their partners behind them, bagging them out. And, you know, the next thing you know, you've gone from getting out of bed to trying to drag someone into the station mm. in, in a space of minutes. So, you know, you you, you can't rest easy. Uh, you know, you've always got your, your kit folded up at the end of your bed ready to go because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, Shit things like. I remember, I remember giving a couple of the footy players a bit of a hard time one day because they, they'd won the grand final and they were playing up a bit and yelling Yahoo and at me out from the pub when I was driving past. So, you know, you go and have a chat to them and that always goes as well as it does with a drunk drunk football team. And, 
you know, one night I remember lying lying in bed and we get I could hear them coming actually from a from a ways off. And oh God, here we go. So I sort of I got up. I thought, oh, what are they what are they going to do? But I grabbed my appointments and um, just stood at the front door, just in a nice little shady bit under a tree, and thought I'll just watch them and just see what they're going to do. No, and it's a whole football team versus me mm. sort of thing. It's not really going to be a fair fight. But, you know, they turned up at the front and started really bunging it on and yelling out shit like, you know, come out here, you bitch, we're going to rape you and stuff like that to my wife. Because everyone knows who you mm. are and who, you, who your partner is and stuff like that. And, you know, that sort of stuff really is a little bit unsettling in that sense because you don't know, you never really know what's going to happen. And, you know, I'd really, I was watching this unfold from a shadow. They didn't know I was where I was, but... I just thought to myself, you know, one of you prick steps over my front fence because it's it's my house. Like I'm living there. My bedroom's at the front of the station. And I just thought, you know what, it is tonight the night, you know, because mm. I, I literally had my OC spray in one hand and my Glock in the other. And I thought, one of you prick steps over, one of you steps over that thing on a sprayer, another one comes over, you're getting shot. You're getting popped. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not happening tomorrow. No, 100%. Life, 100% you know, no, you no, pricks oh, want to play up. Yeah, you know, it's it's. But you only you only spend two years in prison anyway. God, the judicial <laughs> system, you know. But little things like that. <laughs> That's a big game. You know, and and it's sort of yeah. it, those little those sort of little things. Like I, I remember sitting down to a, a Christmas dinner with my in laws one day, and a bloke and I heard this bang 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 out the front, and I ran out the front, and there's this bloke smashing up a phone box with a pole out the front or a bubbler. I don't know what he was smashing something up out just across the road from my house. You know, so there goes Christmas dinner, and um, you know go and lock him up and whatever, but you know, that sort of stuff was pretty constant mm. um, and, and disappointing stuff too with the organisation Like because I spent a lot of time away on call and, and going, down to, yeah, Sydney. going down to Sydney for six months in a time and, you know, the, the, the cops wouldn't even put a security door on the, on the house for my wife. Yeah, right. Yeah, because so yeah, everyone knew the house door and the station mm. door and, and if, if the lights weren't on in the station, they'd come to your house door. And, you know, I was thinking, shit, at least they could give her a screen door that she could at least yeah. safely open and, yeah. you know, no one had come through. But they I think they, did they give you the – I remember hearing from some mates who did one manners and stuff that they the partner used to get a, an allowance. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, it wasn't much, was it? It wasn't a lot, but it was it was a lower legacy thing from when yeah. the wives of the copper used to make the meals for the prisoners. Yeah, the you told me that mm. once before, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was. So they used no, to get that, a, yeah. an allowance, yeah. yeah. And they deserved every cent of it, I yeah. tell you. Because she used to get abused from people that were wanting to see me, and she'd be at, she'd be in the bathroom, and they'd be yelling at her through the window, mm. you know, stuff oh, like yeah. that. So that's life in a police station. Yeah. yeah so, two thousand five. This is where you meet <laughs> the jughead. Yeah. Uh, Vikings deployment. So just give me a quick rundown on what Vikings deployment is. Sounds very. Well, your co-host would probably better. Yeah. Better to talk to that. Yeah. What is the Vikings? The, well, they had the red fern rights. They wouldn't it? call that no more Vikings. Well, no, the Vikings, uh, when I last left, when I left the police, was still in existence, but it was a funding only. It wasn't a unit. Well, so yeah. um, they had the red fern rights. And one of the findings that came out of the report into that was the creation of a public order unit. Because prior to that, and between the creation of the Vikings and TRG, there was no full-time public order unit. But they weren't ready to go to a full-time unit as such. So they created OSG Vikings. Um, it was, what, six teams? Of about yeah, anything six, from anything yeah. from six to ten blokes in a team, mm-hmm. um, all OSG trained, but you had to wear two tones. So you wore your shirt and pants, and you carried the overalls in your bag. Um, and it was a rapid dis- unit that could do public order, as well as high visibility policing in troublesome areas. So basically, watch Channel Seven tonight. That's where you're going tomorrow. 
Yeah, gotcha, and, um, gotcha. I met. I was there in the first comment uh, late two thousand and four, um, and then when Matt and I met, or well, we met a while ago before that at, through OSG, but um, Matt got roped into Team Three. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that's uh, it was what Easter two thousand and five. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit yeah. About that. Or was it just like a rotation system of six months? Yeah, six months. Every luck had. Well, it was what local area command back then had to provide one person from yeah. the metro area. Um, Blue Mountains was a command within Metro, and Matt was at Blackheath, and you come to Sydney. Yeah, so, so that they would have sent me because I could, I wasn't on the main roster for the twenty four gotcha. station, yeah. so it's just an easy. And we're based at Surrey Hills. Yeah, so it went from overnight. Yeah, based yeah. in Surrey. Yeah, which is a bit of a hike yeah. from old Blackheath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So during this year as well, this is where you become full time rescue. Yeah, yeah. Basically, at the end of that, uh, yeah, so at the end of that year or the start of that year, yeah. I can't remember now. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think that you because you were, you were do, doing rescue work at, while you're at Vikings too. You were, I was, yeah, yeah as yeah. well as getting called out from home for jobs and doing yeah. rescue work while he's with us at Vikings. Yeah, um, and that's what I always wanted. I, I love the rescue work. It was, um, you know, great. It was, it was good. Yeah, there's some. Uh, there's and some, uh, that's this is again still out of Katoomba. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So this, the Blue Mountains Police Rescue Unit's got a base in Springwood down the bottom and and Katoomba up the top. Yeah. yeah, right. Uh, so Australia Day, 2005. Yeah, that was a wild day. Um, mm. <laughs> when you say wild again, I just yeah. <laughs> I don't know what your wild is. Um, yeah, that that was that was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Uh, over took three days to finish it, but yeah, that that day. Well, it was actually the day before Australia Day. I think I think it might have been the yeah. I think it was the day before the actual job kicked off, but. It it was a just a routine old day. I would have been on call as always. Uh, I, I can't remember whether I was working or at home, but got a call to people trapped in a canyon, and we'd had some amazingly heavy storm cells come over. And when it came through, I went, "No one possibly could have been in a canyon today." Because can't like for people that don't know what a canyon is, it's like a slot through the mm-hmm. rock that where where all the water tributaries funnel down into a, a ravine. And that goes down through the cliff, and then you you get in there, and they're, they're beautiful places, but not where you want to be in heavy rain because the water levels fluctuate, go crazy uh, real quick because of the catchment, catchment areas. And yeah, we we got this job, tour down to Wentworth Falls, uh, to Empress Canyon. It's a canyon that I've I've done bloody hell like twenty, thirty times probably. Uh, overall, it was it's a it's a fairly short canyon. I used to do it do it as a as a time trial with some of my mates to see how fast we could do it. Back when I was fit, it, um, yeah, got down there, confirmed the, the the people were still unaccounted for in the canyon. And, you know, canyons are a one-way trip. You can't go backwards because you've got to go up waterfalls, which is impossible. So you've got to start at the start and work your way through them. And we decided to split our team. We had a had a SCADI uh, paramedic and another rescue operator that went down to the base of the falls and me and another operator, Fitzy, went in through the top and literally committed to what we knew was very unknown. Uh, you know, abs- abseiled in at the at the shorter entry point thinking, well, you know, I knew the canyon well enough to know one little sneaky spot where you could get in before it got too hairy and we, we jumped in there and I, I got in there and the water level was higher than I'd ever, ever seen it, like way higher and you could hear the thundering noise of the water going down through the slot from just where we were. It was really loud and... Uh, we we worked our way down to 
part of the part of where the water all funnels through a, a section of rock, really, really tight. And the the noise there was just deafening. Like we were literally yelling in each other's ears just to communicate. It was that loud. And you got no comms out of mm. there because the radio is like in a little rock slot. You got no comms unless someone's literally just above you with a because UHF radio is a pretty useless in that environment. Nor would it have been any good anyway. But you know, we uh, we hatched a bit of a plan. We 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 had a we had our normal kit with us, and um, I, I was probably the more competent uh, vertical operator out of the two of us, and. I'd sort of set up a system with Fitzy to say, mate, you, I, I don't know what's going to happen when we go when I go into this slot because if I slip, I'm going to go into the the literally the torrent of water and it'll just wash me. Like I, I won't be able to control anything. Uh, but I knew the canyon well enough to know I had to get through this rock slot. I'd go down, jump off into a pool, and then you can see the entry, the exit point, which is at the top of the main waterfall. Uh, but we just had to get around that corner, so we we anchored off. I got Fitzy, set him up tied on and you know I was so unsure of what was actually going to happen I, I literally said to him or yelled at him um you know you'll need to give me slack so I can move but if you feel it jump tight that's me getting washed off the end waterfall because I didn't know what was going to be happening there and and I I sort of said to him mate if you if I get washed off the waterfall you're going to have to lower me as fast as you can to get me out of the water because I won't be able to breathe. And the rope length that we had from where we were was never going to get mm. me to the bottom pool. So uh, I said to him, mate, I'm go- you're going to have to lower me as far as you can and then I'm going to have to probably cut free because um, I was – like he was belaying me. I wasn't – normally abseiling-wise, you're controlling yourself. I had the way – because the way I had to move, I had to let him belay me down and I was sort of hard tied into the rope and I sort of had everything ready to – cut off if I had to, but I, like, I didn't know how high up the waterfall was about a 30 meter high waterfall at the end. And, you know, I got around the, got around the, like I've sort of shimmied my way around this rock slot that was just thundering water between my legs. I sort of spread eagle across this slot of rock and got down to this pool where I jumped off a thousand times before. And I could see some people at the very end at the abseil point. And, um, so I was quite relieved at that point, thinking at least we've we've not come here for nothing because mm. I thought that we didn't know at that point whether they'd all got themselves out of the canyon oh, and were gotcha. down the bottom yeah, of the pool. Yeah, so yeah. We, we committed to this thing not even knowing if they were still in there. Um, but I sort yeah. of thought, well, at least they're there. At least we can do something. And um, so I uh, I pulled through a bit of slack uh, from Fitzy and, and got myself ready to jump down into this pool. as sort of like one pool get out up onto a rock, jump in the next pool, and then you get off. And uh, I jumped into the pool like I'd done so many times before. And, um, yeah, when I jumped in, uh, I knew it wasn't normal <laughs> because there was that much water going in there. And what I've learned about swift water since is it's, it was super aerated, so it wasn't floating very well at all. It was because it's sort of all the bubbly water, you're not very buoyant mm. in. And, uh, so, it, but what what had happened? The way the water was going into this pool, which is probably how it formed in the first place, but uh, it was causing it to to get into a whirlpool. And normally, you just jump into a fairly stagnant pool, swim to the side, lift yourself up, and keep going. Well, uh, unfortunately for me, what was happening is I was getting swept around circles, and um, just 
Sorry, man. No, you're on, mate. You're on. Take your time. Um, yeah. So, um, what what I've what I'd learned about it was one of the group was under me in the water, mm. and and I was bumping into him with my legs. Actually, now that I know what it was, I uh, didn't know at the time, and uh, yeah. So I, I was getting swept around and around and around in circles, and and Fitzy not knowing what was going on, I'd, I'd told him to continue paying out rope to let me keep moving. Mm. So more and more and more rope was coming down and tangling me up and I was just going around and around and around in circles. Every time I made it to the rock ledge, it would pull me back in and I'd, I'd abandoned my backpack at that point. I sort of, I thought, shit, I, like <laughs> it's got all the rescue gear in it that we need, but I thought I, I'm, I, I actually need to ditch it and, uh, you know, uh, I, I sort of consciously thought I've gone from helping these people to save my ass to being and, a fucking yeah, that's right. And uh, and unfortunately, it was getting wider and wider, and um, the 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 water force was forcing me underneath an overcut of rock and pushing my head underwater. So I was sort of struggling to breathe. And every time I'd get out from that, I'd swim as absolutely hard as I could to the edge of the rock to try and get myself out. And Every time I'd latch my fingernails into the rock, it would just drag me back in. I went round and round and round. And, and uh, you know, all the while I was bumping into someone uh, underneath mm. me. And I don't actually know what happened, but I remember getting to the edge and uh, just holding on, just trying to get some breath back. And the next thing you know, Fitzy's there. And I actually, still to this day, I'm not 100% sure how he got down to me or why he came down when he did, uh, but he did. And thank Christ he pulled me out of there. And... Uh, he found, like, I've spoken to him about it since, but he found another little uh, way, which is what I should have done, but I just did what I've always done in that canyon. I should have actually looked at it and uh, and not done what I usually did in there. But, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, he, he got me out of there. And then we continued forward to the people that were still trapped on top of the waterfall trying to get out of the really high thundering water that was going over there. It was just crazy compared to what it normally is. And, um, you know, when we got over there, um, it's actually a Victorian copper, uh, was one of the people that was still up there and a lady with a dislocated shoulder and some of them had gotten down. Most of their gear had gotten washed away. And, uh, and he said, my brother's in there. And I just looked back and thought, fuck, I just nearly died in that thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I can't go back into that water now trying to find someone else. And I think, I, I don't know whether it was then that I sort of thought maybe that's what I was bumping into or not. I don't know, but, um, I just remembered saying, like, uh, how long ago did you see him? Like, and he, like when he told me, it was like probably thirty odd minutes. Yeah, so no chance. And I just said, mate, this, yeah, he, he can't be alive. And uh, and he, like, he was bawling. And um, well, actually, I must admit, he was super composed, given that he just seen his brother drown. But um, you know, it was a pretty, pretty emotional little interaction. And um, for me too, because I, like, I was just. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd literally only just regained my breath thinking, shit, I, I I don't know how I just didn't drown. And, um, you know, Fitzy and I spoke about it maybe, you know, could we rope up and jump back in? But, you know, when we realised how long it had been, that's when we just went. We did, we did And at that point, we didn't know whether the water was still coming up. So we, we were worried that the water levels were still increasing and getting worse. So we just went, we're going to get the life people and ourselves out of here. And... Uh, so that's that's basically what we did. We got the two remaining uh, people down off the top of the waterfall and got ourselves out of there. And uh, yeah, so that that was a pretty close call day. Um, 
I don't actually remember it at all, but uh, my wife tells me when I got home that day, I just walked inside and and just literally collapsed on the floor and bawling and fell asleep mm-hmm. <laughs> all in one go. Yeah, right. And uh, I don't even remember it, but um, yeah, but that, that turned into like obviously day two. Um, we had to go back and try and Rescue. get the body out. Yep. And uh, we got back down there, took the police divers in there with us thinking, you know, if he's in that hole. How's the water at that? It subsided a bit. Second day, uh, it was just as bad. Oh, was so, it? Oh, yeah. Fuck. So we got in there. We worked our way down there and um, bailed out, got back. Um, so we sort of we had a bit of an exit plan if it was still going to be bad. So we did that, got back, got out, and day three went back in again. And the water levels had gone back to almost normal overnight. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that's how quickly they fluctuate. And, yeah. And uh, that's what makes it dangerous. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got back in there on day three. Got the divers in there. The divers, um, you know, jumped in with the very small air sets and pulled him back up. So we we got him out of there. So and yeah, he was in that spot where you exactly. said you were. So it was definitely yep. him that you yeah. were. And he drowned. Yeah, exactly the same way yeah. I did. Never yeah, right. Just yeah. Fuck. So his brother was basically watching him go around and around. And um, you know, that was a pretty pretty tough couple of days. The um, he uh, he was he was actually a, a army helicopter pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah his captain, Captain yeah. Matthew Donovan. Matthew Donovan, yeah, and his brother was James. James, he was a Vicpol guy, and I, I think they were on a break because I th- if I remember rightly, James had he was on leave from disarming an offender down in Melbourne somewhere. Yeah, right. I think. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's why they were actually up there. So, um, yeah, and and little things like that, I guess, stick with you. Over the years, you know, you look back at it and think, you know, why didn't I? <laughs> why didn't that happen to me? Yeah. Why didn't it happen to him? And or why didn't you use why, the other route? That's but that's right. that's hindsight, mate. We've I, spoken about this in yeah, fucking multiple yeah, podcasts. Yeah. And I and I also, you know, I've spent, um, you know, one of the one of the things that sort of was uh, my undoing, if I call it that. But it, it was one of those jobs where I was second guessed myself, wondering mm. if I had a gone back in and jumped back into that water and pulled him out, would it be yeah. different? I don't think so, but mate, um, that's hindsight. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah, and and I, uh, you know, I remember his parents come up and uh, saw us at the station to thank us, and you know, quite ironically, I guess as a helicopter pilot, his his exit was via helicopter after we picked him up, and yeah, we had one yeah. of those typical Blue Mountains helicopter jobs where it was weather closing in, it's now or never, rush, 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 and. And mate, I I took a huge fall while we were carrying him, and, and his brother actually was one of the one of the guys that helped us because we weren't expecting to get the body out, and uh, and we did, and we didn't really have the resources down there for that quick helicopter job. So his brother and another guy actually ended up helping us carry oh, his shit. body down to, to the winch point, and um, mate, I took a big slide and landed on my ass, and I found out later on it's probably when I did it I crushed a vertebra in my back doing <laughs> doing that, but um, yeah, it's a but. You know, having you know, hel- getting him helicoptered out and and meeting his parents later on, and one of one of the things I suppose I wish I could remember is and being the diligent young fellow I was back then. His parents gave me a bottle of scotch for getting him out, and I did the right thing and declared it. And the boss made him made me send it back because we can't accept alcohol. And uh, but I. I you know, I don't remember what it was. And I actually, funnily enough, all these years later, I wish I knew what that bottle of scotch was so I could have one yeah, right. every Australian yeah, day. Yeah, You know, I yeah. just wish wish, uh, wish I knew what his favourite – because they gave it to me because it was his favourite scotch. It wasn't, wasn't just a gift. It, they gave it to me because yeah. it was his favourite scotch. And anyway, I can't remember, but um, 
Yeah, so that that's sort of a, a couple of days in the life of a rescue operator. Um. <laughs> yeah, and then September, you did another pretty big uh, rescue yeah. base, base jumper. So this September, this, you got to remember this is all uh, this is all tied up with my deployment down with Jug down to Vikings. So. Oh, so you're in and out of uh, yeah flogging. So. People getting drunk. So we we're doing we're doing, we're doing ten hour shifts, weren't we? I think so. Yeah. so yeah. Our normal ten hour shift was ten hours at the station we were deployed yeah. in, and you finished at the station you were deployed in, or Surrey Hills. Yeah. And then he travelled home, two two and a half hours. Yeah, two yeah. hours. Yeah. So you and then you get we were doing we we're doing eight hour breaks, weren't we? Back then it wasn't tens yet. Yeah. So you right. and you could be turning around and coming back. So that was he was sent from Mount from Katoomba or Blackheath. Into the metro stations, you could be at Glebe, you could be at Redfern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you still in Cronulla, the rides? I missed it. You were down there, were you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we, I could have thrown a bottle at you then. <laughs> well, if you were at the surf club, there's a pretty good chance you did. Yeah, I was around yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I was around there too. Yeah, I, was, I, was around, <laughs> yeah. I was around everywhere. <laughs> I was actually on, I was on holidays in Brampton Island with my wife because we were having a break. We were having trouble uh, conceiving, actually. We, we yeah. tried IVF and it wasn't going that well, so we decided we needed a break and got over there and... I remember when we got back to the mainland because there's no mobile service over there. My phone goes ballistic, going "Get to work!" and I'm like, "What's going on?" And yeah. sure enough, yeah, all been going on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Didn't even know. But yeah. I was there for free sausage sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had some fun. We had some fun at Vikings. Yeah. But anyway, one of, one of yeah. the guys who were working with that Vikings, um, old Werner. <laughs> yeah, it was his wedding day actually. So we, we, I was getting ready to go to a wedding, and my wife was getting all dressed up, and got a phone call to say. Uh, we need you at a job for a bit. Oh, no. And I said to my wife, you keep getting ready. I'll just duck out to this job because I wasn't on call. I wasn't meant to be available or anything that day, obviously going mm. to a wedding, but uh, I'd heard it was a big job. And uh, they said that. I think they said they, they wouldn't do it without you, I think it was. It was yeah, was I, th- I have heard that from yeah, right. someone. So you made a bit actually. of a name for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was probably getting pretty good at it there for a while, I think, uh, particularly the rope, rope work side yeah. of things. And He's um, very modest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd done, you know, I'd, I'd done a fair bit of training yeah. with the Ambos too by that point in time, so I probably had a bit of bit of credibility with them. And, uh, yeah, so they called me out to this job. Um, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know where to start with this one. So, yeah, get out there, base jumper job, uh, which, you know, base jumpers are always pretty dis- deceptive sort of characters. They don't really tell you much. Uh, because they know they're going to get in trouble, so it's always a little bit of what's this, what's that. But yeah, I think this one was pretty, pretty blatant. It was he was going to need help. He jumped off a place called Pierce's Pass, which is a big overhanging rock that looks through, looks over one of the valleys off the Bells on a Road. And um, yeah, when we got up there, started getting ready, thinking we we're going to rope down to him. But the the one of the first helicopters arriving said, "No, there's no way you're going to get off, get be able to vertically access him because of the overhang of the rock." So it, basically what it would have meant, if we had have abseiled off the cliff, cliff top, the the overhang of the rock would have actually put us metres and metres and metres away from where he was in free air, mm. so no way to actually So he's access. dead or alive? He was alive, yeah. Oh, he's alive, yeah. Yeah, so he sputtered in he, about halfway down the cliff. Um, I, I, I'm no base jumper, but I'm assuming he, he, he shoot open the wrong way and he's facing into the cliff mm. too much and ended up Same sputting point. into the cliff and got stuck on a tiny little ledge and... Yeah, so the helicopter guys went out, went back up in the air, took some photos. We had a look and thought, okay, we'll access via this slot. And me and a scat paramedic, um, Kerno legend guy, he uh, and and God, the, the scat 
paramedics, I, I must admit, they they are awesome. Like the the level of training, their their confidence, capability that they they are that they're just gold, really, at jobs of all sorts, but particularly technical access jobs because. Uh, nothing scares a rescue operator more than the medical side of things because, you know, you might be able to get there, but <laughs> without the medical training, exactly. it's like, what's yeah. the point? Exactly. And, you know, so you're always relying on them. And anyway, um, he and I went down, uh, we did one pitch, re belayed off another bit, got down. Uh, it was probably, I don't know, maybe 120, 150 metres from the top at that point or something like that. And, um, yeah, sort of shimmied along this ledge, in a bit of a pendulum move on the ropes we were on from up the top to access him. And uh, I stayed up a bit above where, where he was treating him to set up the rigging and stuff to keep him safe and stop him falling off the edge. Because we're still, at that point, we're still probably, oh, I don't know, 80, 80, 100 metres off the deck. And, yeah, so that job took uh, a lot longer than getting ready to go to a wedding. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know, Sarah was probably ringing people, abusing them. I, I, I think I got a phone call off you, didn't Did you ring me or was it Sarah that rang me? Wouldn't have been me. I would have been uh, too busy. Oh yeah, because it's, it's just a joke between me and a few of the boys and Matt that um, <laughs> we're at this wedding and we're waiting for the rock up and he's he's never on the side of a cliff. We're like, what? We just we thought it was a joke. It was one of the G ups. We would each other up all the time, <laughs> and um, it turned out Sarah was like rang us up and it's just going off. And I'm like, no, he's not coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, a bit busy. And this yeah. this uh, this rescue's on YouTube. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh yeah. I'll put this up on uh, the Insta. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a crazy job in the sense that uh, super exposed, a massive cliff, probably one of the biggest cliffs in the Blue Mountains, that section there, and um, and really tricky because what, what we ended up doing was uh, make – well, Paul and the helicopter crew, because Paul was a, a full-time helicopter paramedic and, you know, going off his lead for the, for the extraction um, – yeah, we came up with this idea of uh, throwing a few water bottles in a – in a bag and, and the crewy from the helicopter threw them out the window, out the door at me so I could catch them on a soft line and pull over the winch cable and then we we're going to hook up the, the paramedic and the, and the injured person and then once the winch cable started taking tension, I'd ease them out underneath so they were directly underneath the winch cable and then off they'd go. So, uh, yeah, that happened, and they they had a few attempts at trying to get the hook to us in other ways, but that's that's effectively what ended up happening is they hovered hovered sort of right at our head levels and threw a bag of bottles at us and not caught it, and we hooked up this cable and um you know mind you this is hours and hours and hours later and yeah so they they got up and I, I tell I did shit myself a bit that job because. Communication was good, but uh, you really—it's not something that anyone had ever trained for, mm. and it's certainly not something I'd ever practiced. And you know, to have it all unfolding in front of your eyes, watching it while you're in control of it, and and you know, in in the sort of debriefing of it and working out what we could have done better, it was there was some thought that maybe the system could have been, you know, put on some cams and and hard linked onto the cliff face. But at no point in time did we ever want to have that helicopter. Hard, uh, yeah. hard linked to the cliff in case it got unstable yeah. and had to fly off, and then it would have been tied on and crashed. You know, literally that that stuff got, yeah. you know, eighteen hundred throw three mm. ton brake and strain rope, and uh, it'd certainly be enough to pull the helicopter out of out of uh, flight mm. and sideways. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that happened and got him out there. But I tell you, while it was while it was unfolding in front of my eyes, like 
lowering them out underneath their machine. You got to remember, like we we've got ropes going hundred meters plus above our heads, and you got a helicopter which is like a flying chainsaw, not far from your ropes, and that's what's stopping you falling down the cliff. And and uh, you know it was hairy, and and particularly when Paul and the patient started getting uh, when when I lowered them out underneath the machine, it all happened a lot quicker than I was expecting. Once the tension came on that cable, and you know his rope was still attached to the cliff above us, and wasn't a lot of room between the rotor disc yeah, and the rope. So, uh, you know, you sort of look at that stuff and go, holy shit, that could have been a different That's, day. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, got him out of there and, um, you know, I was stuck down there for a few more hours trying to work out. And, I, like, it, it frightened me that much. They sort of said, oh, we'll come back and do it. And I went, ain't no way on God's <laughs> earth I'm doing that again. Uh, you know, pick me up down the bottom or something else or I'll walk out. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I cut some rope off, some spare stuff and got, got myself enough rope to get down the bottom and, Got picked up yeah, a few right. hours later. Yeah, Fuck. but uh, yeah, and, and you missed the wedding. Missed you missed the wedding. Missed the wedding. It was yeah. it was a good wedding. <laughs> Bloody base jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Lots of> alcohol. <laughs> I mean, I had a few close calls of helicopters over the years too. Yeah. Like um, uh, one of the one of the canyons, one of the really popular canyons up in the Blue Mountains, Colostral Canyon. We got a got an injured injured uh, canyon around of there once with the ambos and had the patient on board. They were picking up the paramedic and then they were picking up me and. As though, like, it was one of those squally, shitty, windy days up there, but down inside the slot of the canyon, it wasn't too bad, and the, the helicopter was winching okay, and, and yeah, I just remember down the bottom watching the paramedic go up, and I was last on the, on the, in the, in the team to be extracted, but, you know, I was watching him go up as you, you know, I love heli, oh, loved helicopters, I should say, uh, watching it go up, and, and, like in an instant, this thing had flipped 180 degrees and had a wind squall and they had to crank on that much power to keep it um, stable. It spun the bloody helicopter around and, and it started flying, like doing an emergency fly-off with him on the cable, just clearing the trees. And I'm pretty sure they almost cut him off that day, actually, when that happened because they did a like did an emergency mm. flyaway. And um, you know, I think the, the protocols are they cut the cable at that point and they were probably lucky that the crew he just saw he was clear of the trees and wasn't going to snag. And, um, you know, you see stuff like that. And, like, I, I got winched out one day. I think it was from the same canyon or something with Polair. And, you know, it was <laughs> interesting going up the cable and looking up and going, ah, oh, there's – you know, you know, like air conditioners, how they uh, in your car and they have that little dribble of water mm. coming off the aircon on yeah. hot days. I'm looking up, going, I didn't know the helicopter had air conditioning. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at this little dribble coming out of it. Stupid. Like, of course, it doesn't have air conditioning. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I just remember my stupid brain at the time thinking, oh, that's weird. I didn't know that. I've never seen that before. And and it was wetting me on the way up. And because while well, you're getting a winch, you got all the, the turbine smell and like everything going around you, you couldn't really smell anything. But as I'd clear the trees, I started flying off, and like I'm on the cable, still a long way down because a lot of their winches are nearly mm. max length up there to try and clear the canopies and get the helicopter in a good spot. And and yeah, I'm flying away, and like it was going that fast. I'm going, okay, well that's weird. They're moving into a better spot because sometimes they pick you up clear, move to a better winch spot, and then continue the winch. And uh. Yeah, they just kept flying faster and faster and faster, and I'm going. And you're dangling. I'm dangling. Yeah. I'm like, I can hardly breathe. Like I'm going, <laughs> like it was that much, like velocity of air. Like I could nearly not breathe. I remember thinking, shit, this is really weird. What's going on here? And uh, it turned out that that some major fuel leak had happened mid winch with me on it. <laughs> so and you were doused in. Yeah, I it guess. was fuel. You're was in a <laughs> yeah. So as soon as they dragged me in, like, uh, like 
I don't know, like <laughs> it's lucky I didn't get chopped up by the bloody was tail it? rotor. <laughs> it felt like I was that it was going that fast. But that's the one they did the emergency. I think you told me about they did the emergency landing, wasn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. but I, like uh, it certainly made me quite comfortable in the fact they should be called the chainsaws of the sky because they're the most dangerous tool going. But, um, yeah, so, that the, you know, little things like that sort of make you wonder how different your day could be sometimes. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, – he, he's, he's a very modest person. Yeah. Matt. Like, I know his reputation. I've known him Matt, for a long time. <laughs> and Matt would be brought away on courses to set nav courses out. He was a, a navigation – mountaineering guru. Yeah. He had, at his police station, there was no cells. There was two decommissioned cells. One cell had all your roping equipment, if I remember <laughs> rightly, and the other one had his other love, guns. Oh. Yeah. But he had that much personal roping equipment. Yeah, right. That made Paddy yeah. Palins look like it was poor. <laughs> yeah, right. And he used to, he used to use all his own gear. Yeah. Now his own stuff. And that's that's how much this he was into. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. he's modest. He doesn't talk about much yeah. of it, but he was- Yeah, yeah. right. Vertical yeah. God. Yep. One would Pretty say. Pretty much, yeah. A lot of that stuff too, like the way the way a lot of that progressed was actually, I, I knew there was better gear out there for the job that we were doing, and I'd buy it, I'd get taught in it, and then I'd introduce it to myself, and then if it was good enough, you'd start asking questions about how to get it done. But um, you know, a lot of people used to say, "Oh, you're a rogue. You're, a, you're like you're using your own shit. You're gonna like if it goes wrong, you're in trouble." But you know, I used to get, I used to have that same quandary in my head of going, "I know I'm using substandard stuff." I know there's better gear out there. I know there's better ways to do what we're yeah, doing, yeah. and I'll do it. But That's I did it. it all, I did most of that out of my own pocket yeah, back in the day because yeah. I loved it. And um, the other thing too is you you're saving lives. You're not going out there just yeah. to arrest a crook. You're saving yeah. everyday citizens' lives and doing the hard yards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially during this, you know, 2005. Yeah, and, that was crazy. Mate, the same as the army. The the kit yeah. was fucking horrendous, yeah. and we went out and spent thousands of yeah. our own fucking shit getting made up and yeah, get some all that type stuff. You just yeah. you just needed it. Um, it's some of you could like when you debriefs. It's the amount of kit. I know you would have probably bought. I know what I bought. I, I know spent what thousands, thousands on kit. Yeah, it's mm. it's phenomenal what you could, you would spend. Yeah, it's um yeah. yeah. Two thousand six, you you love your rescue. So you thought <laughs> you know what? I'm become a firefighter, a retained firefighter on call as they call them these days. Yeah. Well, it was just you just thought about it and thought you know what? I just yeah. Look, I've been asked a few times because often they were pretty short of staff in some places. So um yeah, it's uh was one of those things that I probably thought I could I could add to like um cuz given given my background and what I'd done I sort of thought well you know it's pretty silly having my skills sitting in cuz I'd moved up to Mount Victoria by then and uh you know their station needed some staff and I thought well you know police rescue operators probably mm. going to be a good fit for the retained firefighters so yeah yeah got got into that and um so you basically just went 24/7 yeah there was yeah, I don't know. My wife was a real fan of it. It was, um, <laughs> yeah. So pretty much when I wasn't on call, because I'd go to work as a yeah. rescue operator, come home on call most of the time with the rescue truck in the driveway, and then when I didn't have that, I'd be on call for the fire brigade. So, um, yeah, stupid. Stu- I look back at it now and go, that was stupid. Yeah. Um, How many lives do you reckon you saved? I don't know. I wouldn't know. Hundreds. I, I don't know. To be honest, Come I wouldn't. On. I wouldn't Look, know. A rough estimate of jobs you've done. Uh, it'd be a, it'd rescue. Be a, it'd be a lot rescues. Yeah. We probably do. I, I think we're running about three or four hundred jobs a year up there. <laughs> then maybe three hundred jobs a year. Fucking hell! How many full time guys were there in the unit? Though? Me. 
That's it. Yeah. So there's yeah, one the full-time time, right? Yeah. yeah so right. you've got to bring them from home or from off the truck to go yeah. home, get changed, get come back out. Yeah. So it's- I probably got a bit cocky sometimes too because I, I used to do some jobs I'd do on my own even because they, they, they were that stingy. They wouldn't- to, to call someone else out was a big problem for the bosses because they didn't want to pay overtime to someone. And um, sometimes I'd do stuff on my own. Like I remember going looking for a bloke that was missing at night in a storm down on one of the mountain trails and went, you know what, boss, I, I, don't worry about it. I'll just go and do it myself. And sure enough, I found him and, and uh, you know, he's dead. He was crushed by a tree that had fallen on him. And I spent probably four or five hours waiting for a relief crew to come down there, you know, to take over the job and, you know, spent that whole time down there throwing rocks at rats trying to eat him, you know, things like that yeah, on your right. own. It's sort of weird. Like yeah. some of the things you do on your own is pretty weird. Like No, that's that's uh, that's yeah. pretty fucking weird. It is. I'm looking fucking like. Yeah, sitting in the bush in that's, the dark on your own that's with, next level with a headlamp shit. trying to throw yeah. rats at stop eating this dude. That's next level yeah, shit. Yeah. That's, no, no night vision gear or anything. No, no, that's, no, no, no. Yeah. that's next level shit. Yeah, yeah so – yeah, I guess um, you know that's probably continuing my theme of working on my own a little bit. But uh, yeah, and like I've done, I've done stacks of stuff like that. Um, I remember there was some job. I remember you telling me about once that you were out overnight doing. I think it was even the rescue boys were doing some surveillance something. Remember that one? Was the that drug one? crop jobs. I think it was the drug crop one. Yeah, that you were doing. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. That's funny because in a rescue squad, you get used for a lot of ancillary duties as well because of your capabilities. So we, um, it was a funny story that actually because I, I was at the station and someone said, oh, you've got to go and talk to this guy at the counter and went out there and he said, oh, you know, I've found a drug plantation. And I went, oh, righto, how do you, are you sure you know, like how do you know it was cannabis? And he said, oh, I used to be the lead lead agronomist for the drug analytical laboratories for the cops. <laughs> I went, okay, so you're the guy that actually <laughs> signs the legally signs this stuff, so you know what you're looking at. And uh so anyway, yeah, we did it. We put a job together and um, went out, uh, me and another uh, awesome army guy, Jono, he, um, and a few others, a couple of other guys. Actually, there's two, there was two military guys. Is Fitz, was Fitz been nah, one Fitzy wasn't no. one of them. No. Nah. And uh, yeah, anyway, so we, yeah. Hold, hold, hold up here. You go one of them. What are you calling us? Oh, sorry. No, Fitzy, Fitzy is, <laughs> Fitzy you calling, also, us, no. you calling us them. I, um, one of those guys. They. <laughs> that, well, Fitzy was his replacement of Vikings and he was, um, he was in the reserves, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's, um, yeah right. Fitzy's a legend. Yeah. yeah. He's a good bloke. Really he's good bloke. Quite, quite yeah. humble yeah. fellow, but yeah. Very good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of time for him. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him too, yeah. given that he pulled my ass out of that bloody canyon. Yeah. But, um, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that was a pretty cool job, but, um, you know, we got down, I, I did some covert surveillance in my own car, sort of getting ready for the job to kick off out where we knew, where I knew they were going in and out and pretty remote area out off the side of the bells on the road in the middle of nowhere. And, um, yeah, got, got approval to do the job, went out with four of us overnighted. Oh, well, we didn't actually overnight. We got, we went out there to set up thinking we might be there all weekend, um, and and I sort of get involved in those jobs because A, I'm available to do it and B, had all the nav skills and all the overnight gear and everything to go with it. So went out there and yeah, no no sooner had we got to our sort of layup point to start trying to do some little little recce, <laughs> recce walks from where we were, I went, shut up, everyone shut up. It's like, that's a pump. I can hear, a pump. I can hear something running. So sure enough, we'd... They were down there when we were inserting. So, yeah, we basically did the approach, uh, got spotted probably not too far away from them, but 
been a drug crop job, you've got to be real careful for booby traps and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can't just go running blindly into it. And that was our that was our uh, our downfall because we ended up saying like, let's split two two and two. Two goes for foot pursuit. Two of us will secure the uh, secure the site and um, have your guns out and stuff. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. Now we're, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Well, you don't know what's there, right? Like, yeah. You're, you're oh, fuck, I'm, I'm with you. You don't know the... I'm with you. I'll be in jewel welding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, awesome guy. I'm staying like, quiet. <laughs> John O was a... Um, uh, is it, who did the... Was it 4RAR that had the sniper recon stuff? He was an ex... Recon sniper. I know that because he yeah, gave me a few four bits hour, and three hour, three hour and recon as did well. Did they? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Sorry, probably, I, I probably four. Don't know, but yeah. like he, he did that before he joined the cops, and he'd done some tracking courses with some Aboriginals up in northern Australia. So he was obviously on that mm. team, and uh, <laughs> off he went, and uh, you know tracked him, pursued him up to nearly back to the road where they got intercepted by a team that we'd called into oh, as, yeah, right. as our yeah. backup yeah. team yeah. if it, if it went off, and um, yeah, so got him there, locked him up. We secured the site, got rid of all the drugs and everything, and um, yeah, the typical justice system. Um, <laughs> get to get to district court, all the charges, all the evidence, everything there. It was determined that it was a potential that they might have been there bushwalking, like they said they were. Yeah, <laughs> um, had no explanation for why they were there. You know, everything pointed to everything pointed to them running that crop. For a long time, over probably seasons, and walk. Mm. Got to love Interesting. It. Mm. Criminal justice system, yeah. most unjust system. Well, it, it's named yeah. by it's no, no. justice for the criminals. It's, it is. It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. All right, let's have a let's have a break. Cool. Uh, all right, back from another break. Bunch of old blokes here, so they got to fucking release. <laughs> they got to release the bladders. <laughs> Uh, so 2006, yeah, you're in the fire rescue. Yeah. Uh, you're doing that. You're doing your police rescue. You're in and out of this uh, Viking stuff, beating up uh, <laughs> Lebs and Bangs down. <laughs> I'll leave that at his story. Sorry. Oh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a Raptor, that's a Raptor 13 thing. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> I, all I'm going to say is I've never seen something funnier than a dude with a handcuff handcuff to a bit of fence, <laughs> like that, that old school fencing stuff, you know, yeah. that mesh fencing that had been handcuffed to the fence. I didn't do busted that. Busted it off. And he's running down the road with this panel of fencing on his wrist trying to get away. <laughs> I think that's, that's an example of a day in Jug's life. Anyway. <laughs> All I'll say is that person may or may not be a fed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, mate. So 2006. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hectic time back yeah. then, you know, like um, – and I work with some bloody awesome people. Like some of the some of the rescue operators were awesome GDs as well. Like um, just great operators. And, and like having listened to Andy's podcast on here just recently, Panda. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know he paid a lot of homage to the detectives, but you know, to me, <laughs> I've got a <laughs> i got a real different view of those guys. Yeah. Gen- generally speaking. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons, and some of them I'll never talk about. But um, you know, uh, I, I don't know why there's this um, homage to them having doing the job they're doing when there's not to others, and I, I don't get it because realistically, there's a thousand courses you can do in the cops. That's one of them. Mm. 
yet they want a special badge and they yeah. want this and want that. And some of them are awesome operators. Don't get me in. A lot of smart yeah. people end up there, uh, like really switched on people uh, do go down that path. But, you know, when, when you hear – I hear Andy's – talk about, you know, oh, we, we use detectives because, we use detectives because. Well, that's the boys' club. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I was never part of that and was never going to be part of that. So, but anyway, getting back to that's my little rant. Yeah. So fuck to, you, detectives. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, some, some, of them, some of my good mates have been and are uh, down that line. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's like those highway cops, mate. There actually are some good oh, highway cops. Oh, they're different. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, there are. There, actually, yeah. there are some good highway you cops. You live in like an absolute C-U-N-T. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying any. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, look, yeah, like, so some of the some of the people I did jobs with over the years are certainly um, – you know, standout memories, and one I remember doing a job with a a young girl that had fallen off a, a waterfall. She'd taken a young, I think it was a cousin or a nephew or something like that for a uh, for a bushwalk on the mounds, and she was obviously horsing around on top of a waterfall and slipped off. And um, you know, he was only tiny, like seven or eight years old or something like that, and he'd he'd seen a fall and probably went i don't know whether he went down to check on her but she was wedged under a under a log and you know the the um you know one of one of the absolute legends that i'd worked with you know I, I was on that job with him and you know we got there this little kid runs up and says you know can you help her can you help her and i was like yeah mate we'll get we'll get down there and do what we can and and got down there and she was dead and uh i didn't realize at the time but she was probably about the same age as one of his daughters and um, as I've come to know, that stuff can, mm. can rock yeah. you. And, um, you know, he, we got, uh, just at the start of that job, I jumped in the water and, you know, checked for vitals dead. Um, and he just goes, mate, I'm real sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And I'm like, what do you mean you're gone? He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm leaving now. And he literally mid job, put his backpack on, headed up the stairs, never came back to work. Yeah. So. Oh, so that sort of stuff, you know, that just goes to show the the level of of, of impact some of this work that of I've course. done can have on you. And, I, and like it's only now that I sort of understand it. Like I think back in the back in the time, I sort of went, "Oh, that's a bit weird." You know, he's had enough. You know, and a lot of people do leave the cops. You know, after uh, you know a, a decent service and and you know quite rightly so. But you know that that's sort of like an example of a, a, a day with a significant impact. But that, that also left me with that job on my own and. Um, did, did, did that with a paramedic, I think came down afterwards and we got the body out and stuff. But, um, yeah, so that, that sort of, yeah, those, those sort of things I, I do remember plenty of, plenty of rescue operators that I know and, and other cops have tried to end their lives, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, Mate, I've, and, I've and said I, it time it. and time again. Like, yeah. I, I just don't know, cops, ambos and fireys, what you guys see. Yeah. I, you know, I've yeah, seen my shit, what I've seen yeah, overseas, absolutely. but it's just a different planet. It's yeah. a different planet here, especially seeing Aussie citizens. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in kids, people you kids know. and exactly. Yeah. I mean, my first house is a good example. Like I, the first house I ever bought, um, went up to, well, I, I knew, I knew the house because I'd been there probably a year before for a, a guy that was in the fire brigade actually at the same station, shot himself in the head out the front and, um, you know, I think at the time it was a little bit turn up. Yep. Oh, that's him. Um, yep. Know him, knew, known him for a fair few years, done jobs with him and all that sort of stuff. Um, I had to race off and tell his dad, 
because uh, I, I think I was supervising that day, so I left the crew with him and, um, yeah, went down and told his dad and uh, went back and, you know, it turns out I saw the house on the market a few years later and I think that's how, that's how uh, in, in these sort of small communities, that's how familiar I think you get in accepting bad shit's happening and death and, and everything like that. Like, I didn't even think, I didn't even bat an eyelid. I told, I told my wife, I said, look, there's some history at this house. Yeah. I, I, and I knew that, like, he he'd built the house. Uh, he was a you know, quirky sort of character, but it was, it was a really cool little mountain cottage. And I knew if she saw the house, she'd love it. And but I just said to her, look, I'm not going to take you there unless you can, um, unless you're comfortable with the, the history of the place. And she said, well, if it doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother me. I didn't go there. So yeah, sure enough, went there. She loved it. Um, we ended up buying it, and a funny, funny story was the uh, the real estate agent out the front. As the, I think he knew he he had a sale under his belt, and he was saying, oh, right at the last minute, as we were just about to leave, he goes, "Oh, legally, I've got to tell you that uh, this house is a part of a deceased estate." And he said, "Oh, apparently the young man that lived here was, you know, a really troubled soul, and you know, I think he he said I think he died of a drug overdose, I'm not sure where." And I <laughs> said, "No, I just turned around, well, said." No, mate, no, no. He shot himself in the head right there because <laughs> we were standing right near it. Yeah. And he just looked at me and goes, what? <laughs> and I went, no, I came to the job. But that's where he shot himself, just there. And to me, that was just a bit of fun, like a bit yeah, of black, yeah, black humor yeah, fun yeah. like you get dragged yeah. into. But, um, yeah, it's sort of – I guess it's just normal. Like, like realistically, going to those sort of things is just constant, like particularly as a rescue operator and yeah, that's cop, it. cops yeah. generally. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I don't know, we spoke about it off air, but you know, um, you know, I remember doing jobs in the early days when we had a local morgue and we had the local. Um, there used to be one of the GP doctors up at Blackheath was the local government medical officer, the GMO, and he used to do the post mortems. And I remember doing a fatal prang, and a young girl died in it, and uh, we got we. Well, I was up there for the prang for the most part, and and. Uh, Turned out we've worked out she was local, so we had to go and do the death message. Well, I did. So I, I took off back the station, changed into some clean clothes because I had a bit of blood and that, that on me and got in some clothes, went down, told her parents. And, um, you know, they're, they're always really tough jobs to do when you're <laughs> going and telling someone they're never going to see their child again. But they, um, you know, and, and the very next day I was at the back of the Katoomba Hospital doing the morgue with the GMO no, that's, and, that's, you know, seeing her get all chopped up and taking all the samples and signing the seals and, you know, that to me. Do that anymore today? Um, they don't. Well, they don't. G, GDs don't do it. Like, I know detectives and the higher end stuff, yeah. they, they do for like murders and certain incidents. But Because um, the cops are still as, yeah. acting for the coroner, like in yeah. a sense, and a lot of the stuff they have to witness or someone mm. or whatever, mm. and and that's that's how it was done up there then. But it was it was done like a country, like it, even though it was only at Katoomba, it was it was done like they do in the country where they had a local government medical officer, mm. a local mm. morgue, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, which in the city was always different, but um, like they classified it as a city station, but it wasn't city. Yeah, that, that, that hybrid sort of a yeah, it's it a place, a, yeah. yeah, strange place. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's like an example of of those days, and you know, the, some of the some of the really bloody sad stories that I've seen. Um, you know, doing pranks. I, I remember I've done a couple of pranks where, like, person's trap pranks as a rescue operator, where the the driver has killed a relative, and you know that they've survived and they're brother, sister, whatever, has been killed in the accident. And that's that's tough work. Like when you're working on releasing someone 
and not someone else. And I, mm. I, I still remember one that sticks in my mind of, of uh, you know, as a big head-on prang on the – because the, the Great West Highway and the Bells on a road, yeah, high-speed yeah, yeah. roads, yeah. lots of turns, shitty weather, bad recipe, lots of trucks on the road. So same deal, car into a truck. Um, and you know, I still remember this lady – um, and it's one of the jobs that I've done a lot of work on with my sykes and stuff, so I'll probably talk about it all right. I haven't needed my bucket yet. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's – it's. I, I still remember her screaming at me saying, get him out, get him out, because it was a brother that had been killed. And and she – she I think she probably knew. She was driving. She was at fault. She slid in front of the truck. And, um, you know, I remember her screaming at her saying, just get him out, get him out, don't worry about mm. me. And she was – she was banged up bad, but he was dead. And the car was sort of all crumpled around her. And like, literally he was on like with the way the car ended up, up above her. And, and, um, you know, we, we had to have that hard chat with her while she was trapped in the car saying, look, we, we're not working on him cause he's dead. And, you know, I just remember that, like, that's a game changer when you tell someone mm-hmm. that's already in like trauma, like uh, physical trauma to tell them that. And, you know, I like one of the fireys, I still remember him saying to me, because she was hurt, and he said, do you reckon we should stop working on her? Because how is she going to live with it? And I remember, he, like, he literally said that to me, and I'm like, man, that's not our choice. You know, like, um, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the humane thing to do, but, you know, we can't do that. And, yeah, so those sort of jobs, like, that's a long time ago for me, but I still, you know. They stick with you for life. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. go away. That doesn't, doesn't go, go away. away. No, exactly. No. So from 2008 to 2013, you're, uh, you do a quick stint down part of forensics at uh, King Lake, obviously yeah. where the Black Saturday. No, I wasn't fought. part of forensics then. I did, I did a short stint in forensics for a little while. Um, oh, gotcha. I was actually going to transfer in there actually yep. because yep. they – there are, I'd always had an interest in f- the forensic aspect mm. of the jobs that I'd done and, and always really admired the forensics officers doing their job. And, um, yeah, Nelly sort of had a career change there towards the end, but, uh, man, they are overworked or they were yeah. back then. They were flogged. They were so under-resourced personnel-wise and their job was really hard. Like going, every job they go to is a death or a serious injury or something. You don't see anything any good. No, 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 no. But, um, you know, they, they were doing more on call than I was already doing. And I think that's when my wife stepped in and said, hey, when I explained it to her, I said, look, I'm going to be doing more on call and more call outs than what I'm doing now. She went, no. Nah. And uh, so that, that sort of changed that. But yeah, around about then, yeah, went down to King Lake, um, got deployed down post the Black Saturday fires down there. Mm. I, w- I went down on the second deployment so the fire and the smoke and all that sort of stuff had cleared but geez i'll tell you the the victorian coppers in those little communities but they, they were shattered and that's that's why we were there like they they'd all lost people that they knew if not family members you know i, I remember working with one guy and they teamed up with him in the truck who's driving us around showing us around the just the, the moonscape that it was down there and you know just telling me that he knew what was going on that day. He's driving into the station and the car in front of him just got hit with this squall of fire that came across the road just in front of him, crashed into a tree. By the time he pulled up, it was nearly skeletal. You know, yeah, and like these guys are at work. Yeah. And that stuff's just happened to them. And it's like, holy God. So no wonder we were down there. Uh, and, you know, it was a very much a compassionate deployment. It was mm. like to support our brothers and sisters in the same uniform in another state. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, so that was uh, sort of, uh, sort of probably a fairly emotional trip, I guess. Like they, um, no, nothing compared to what they were going through. But that's that's what we were there for. Really, was not. You know, the legislation was different. It was it was a little bit awkward. It was clunky actually. Trying to you know even the, using their radios and stuff was weird. Different call sign, different you know codes and things. It was it was quite clunky trying to learn that so quick. But um, yeah. It was it was another another gig, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, you get a training role headquarters. Yeah, yeah. So I did a cake eater role so, for a while. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, I went, I went down to about two thousand twelve or something like that. Um, I think it was. Uh, I did about three years there. That, I think that was a promotion, though, wasn't it? You it was. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. that was my sergeant uh, promotion, and, I, and I'd always planned to rotate back into general duties or um, something, but didn't. I couldn't do it, and. Um, yeah, ended up, uh, yeah, so ate cake for a while down there. Or No disrespect to them, but <laughs> the, uh, there's a lot of hallway creepers down in headquarters. And uh, look, look I, I shouldn't say that disrespectfully. I, there's a lot of lot of really necessary police work happens down there. And um, Level 14 was the place to be, Tower to be. What was that one? A strike force raptor. Oh, strike force. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll learn about this. Don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, right. So but, uh, yeah, look, I, I learned a lot down there. It was it was it was a, a quite an interesting uh, non-operational posting. Uh, but yeah, look, uh, family life and everything had taken over by then, and I think um, you know I was carrying a few scars and probably realised that going back to GDs was not an option. Wasn't going to be a good move. Hmm. Um, yeah, just looking after myself, sort of thing, and uh, yeah, so jumped out of the cops at that point. Just resigned, uh, moved back up to the, the wife's sort of neck of the woods where she was from, and yeah, got a got another government role up here, which was a pretty weird adjustment. Um, yeah, good good work, but yeah, very very different culture, very different people. I, I had, you know, I, don't, I still don't know, even though I'm not there now, I still don't know that I adjusted <laughs> properly um, into that. Type of work, yeah, yeah. Uh, 2015 floods in Dungog. Yeah, yeah. So is this is where you met, uh, met Mitch. No, no. I'd been Even working with yeah. and for Mitch for years yeah, by right. then. Yeah. So Mitch was a captain in there, and mm. um, yeah, that was a pretty wild day. Like we had a massive storm. We had a tree come through our house just here, and and um, yeah, got called out in the middle of the night to head over to Stroud and got stranded by floodwaters myself, and ended up coming back home getting a chainsaw cutting my way into town and turned out it was one of the only routes into town by the time I'd made it for the other services and stuff to get into town and yeah, just searching houses and yeah, there's a few people mm. died in town. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, yeah, that's another, another, another chapter. Another yeah. Day. Far out. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So yeah. this is where it starts, uh, 2018, this is where it starts getting a little bit you're going downhill. Yeah. This is where everything starts creeping up, everything uh, you've experienced over your years in the police and uh, as a fire rescue retained firefighter. Um, what, what, what's going on, mate? What's going on here? Um, Losing sleep, drinking. Yeah, all of the above. And I've probably been doing that for a while before then. But, two um, kids at this, the two kids. Yeah, yeah, yep, definitely. Two yeah, kids, yeah. Young two kids. kids and, and the wife. And still it's sort of weird. Shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, look. In all honesty, she'd been trying to get me to get help for a while. Mm. Um, a few little little things happen, you know. Like when you do pranks with people you know, and you see them all banged up, you know that that sort of stuff starts to get a bit starts to get to you a little bit, I think. But I, I think what had happened, and actually, it was interesting listening to um, to Ben uh, talk about 
his symptoms because mm. all of the above uh, and some, I think, uh, had been part of my life for a very long time. And, um, yeah, uh, and still to this day, sadly, a lot of it. And, um, yeah, like a lot of just churning over in my head about stuff I could have done better. Mm. Did mm. I get that right? What if I did this? What if I did that? And then, you know, you, you, your brain's chewing that up all day long, every day, and then you go to bed and then it all starts all over again as soon as you shut your eyes in different formats and, you know, all these weird blended dreams of my kids being involved in stuff that I've been at. And, you know, then, you don't, then you're not sleeping and you're drinking to get to sleep and <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. And, uh, yeah, so that was pretty problematic. And, and a lot of other little personality traits had crept in by then too where, you know, really antisocial, like I just – I didn't want to be around anyone. Um, it's pretty sad for my girls, you know, too, because they've really only known me um, as they've I've heard them talk to talk to other people about as me being just numb, like mm. just absent, not not there, you know, really emotionally checked out of everything. And um, you know, that's not what two girls need as they're growing up. And you know, it's been tough on them and and my wife. And uh, yeah, so that. That sort of stuff had just churned and churned and churned and, and, and eroded a lot of probably who I was or who I should have been. You know, it, it, little things too, like just creep into your life, like you'll just lose confidence in everything. You're second-guessing everything you're doing because you start to tell yourself you're, you know, worthless and get everything wrong and and that just takes you down notches, notch after notch after notch and it's really tricky to, to get through that. And, yeah, so um, – and, and and concentration and things like that go out the window. Like I, I studied a, I, I did a, a masters. I started in about two thousand fifteen, sixteen, something like that. And um, you know, towards the end of that, I was just studying in little five minute blocks because I didn't have enough concentration to do anything else. But oh, shit. Um, but you know, it came to a point where I literally decided that I couldn't do it anymore. Like it was it was enough and. I think, you know, probably back as far as 2018, I sort of went, yep, that's that's where my story ends and I just need a bit of time to get stuff sorted out for everyone else. And, um, yeah, just that's probably when I just started, that started being that white noise in my head of, you know, this day is coming, um, what have you got to do to get sorted? And, uh, yeah, just... And and just because you you don't really see another solution, it's really tricky because you you're quite convinced that you've you've been bad, you've you've failed, you've you're useless, you've you've been mm. a fraud your whole life, um, and just it just erodes you. And and um, you know, I even so far f- thinking it through of not wanting any other officer to have to deal with any shit like I'd done over many, many, many years and like Blue Mountain seemed to be the suicide capital of the world. Like there were so many people went to the Blue Mountains to jump off cliffs and, you know, all that sort of and stuff. And you dealt with heaps of them. Stacks, hmm. stacks, carried about in backpacks, hmm. you know, rotted corpses in a bag in my backpack and walking out of stairs and, you know, that that was just normal for hmm. me. And and I, I don't know whether that's why I sort of thought it might have been such a valid solution. Um because I've just seen so much of it, and uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, but um, you know, realistically, I, I just started planning it, and like having seen, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you how many suicides I've been to. So many, like, I don't know, maybe 
I, I don't know. In all honesty, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Jesus. Yeah. Bro, I, I'd even say more than that, mate. Like I know conversations I know. we've had over the times. Yeah. You would have seen a few as well. Seen a few, yeah. yeah. yeah I've seen mates and I've lost mates and. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, it's a, it's a shit thing. And I know Matt and I have had conversations in the past and I know what he's told me and it's, you know, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, I mean, I, I remember going through periods of time when I'd do, you know, I think one time I did four, uh, three separate fatality jobs in four days. One of them was a double double fatality prang and a couple of suicides or something. And, you know, that, that was just work. <laughs> And uh, and I, like and I think at that point in time I'd gone well whatever I do is not going to be messy, um, because I don't want another copper to have to deal with yet another, you know, shit mm. fight. And um, I didn't want anyone to have to expose it. So you know I'd I suppose I'd planned it tidily if that makes sense. Mm. Like I'd I'd knocked a uh, at work we had some body bags for these kits that we had and I'd knock one of them off and. Um, I won't go into the details of what I was going to do, but, um, you know, it was going to be tidy and, uh, planned and, um, yeah, I'd sort of, I think come, uh, 2021, um. And this is during COVID as well. So fucking that's the yeah fucking extra factor of the yeah. government being absolute fuckwits yeah. and locking everything down. Yeah, and I just, don't think that helped. I mean, no, um, you know, I had little things crept in my life daily. Like I, I, I remember going in COVID, like when when you could finally go mm. ride your bike or whatever. And I went for a push bike ride, and um, I'm sorry, man. <clears throat> no, you're right, mate. You're right. I, I remember, um, I remember riding along. Just, just there's so many of these sort of examples I could give you. I'll just give you one. But I was riding along on my pushy and. Um, and there was some black plastic on, like, you know, that builder's plastic they mm. use for concrete and stuff. There was some of that on the side of the road. And, and uh, I spotted it and pulled up and just about threw up all over the ground. And um, it was just a like an overwhelming memory of a, a dude that had been chopped up into bits and pieces and wrapped in building plastic and dropped along the side of the highway. So mm. that's just... Mm. You know, picking all those bits and pieces up and same as, you know, kids that have been run over by trucks and... Mm. You know, me and shovels don't get along. And, um, you know, <laughs> bleach, the smell of bleach yeah. always reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, cleaning myself from really bad deadens, um, just washing my whole body with bleach and bleach we used to use to clean gear and stuff. So little things like that had crept into my life and, you know, just too constant. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, God, uh, I think I just had enough and – I uh, hadn't really sp- – I tried to hide it as much as I could. I don't know whether I did a good job of it, but, um, you know, and, and ironically at work because of COVID, we are going and doing all these mental health mm. online awareness things, and I was pissing myself laughing at them thinking everything, everything that they're saying is me. Yeah. Like every warning sign is my life, and, you know, not even people around you see it. And, um, you know, it's sort of – it's quite weird in that sense. And, yeah, so that, that – uh, you know, I, I I don't I can't really explain it too too well. I still don't really even understand it myself. I don't think, but you know, to get to that point and think that's the only solution is pretty dire. Um, but I guess what brought me what brought me undone is actually just up on that hill up there. Um, I buried my two two dogs that I had um, way back to when I lived in the Blue Mountains, and um, 
and I, they, I was shattered because I, I loved dogs and, you know, the girls were shattered because they'd been part of their lives the whole life. And, and I buried them up there and said, look, they'll, they'll look over you your whole life while you're growing up, while they're here. And, and uh, you know, down over the farm. And, and um, I was driving in the driveway one day. I looked up there and went, I wonder if they'll put me up there so I can look over the girls. Mm. And and that that was basically like I was wondering whether that was my last dinner at home. And, um, you know, that's when I went, fuck it. That's, that can't be their story. Mm. And I've seen so many shattered families. That's where you snapped out of it. Well, I didn't really in snap way, out of it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was the moment that, that I, I actually came inside. Everyone has that. I, I had uh, Tom Brown on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, right. Just sitting in the car, gassed. Yeah. Just yeah. about to gas himself. Yeah. And just had that. Yeah. I don't want my wife finding me like this. Yeah. Kids inside. So I had everything I needed ready yeah. to go in the shed. Exactly. And Tom um, was the same. He was sitting in the car. Yeah. 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 Sitting in the car. And, um, you know, I went out the back and <laughs> sat out the back and just started bawling. She said, what's wrong with you? And I went, fuck, I'm just about to do the job. And, uh, yeah, so uh, obviously that was a that was a changing uh, moment and – I uh, got a lot of help, but, um, you know, the, the sister, the unfortunate side of the bloody uh, system that is meant to support cops and fireys mm, and mm. everyone is, is horrid. And, um, you know, the, the assessments they put me through, the interviews and things to actually see whether or not you had a work-related claim was hideous. I, I, I can't explain to you how horrible it is at that time of your life to be being interviewed by people that shouldn't be interviewing anyone, um, these horrendous you know, really nice uh, insurance assessors that working for these companies that the government contracts it out to, but uh, hor- it's horrible. And, um, you know, my my particular circumstance, because I've been in the cops and I was in the fireys, they started arguing between themselves of who, who was liable for my condition and, and refused it. They got to a point where they refused it and I... Um, refused it? Yeah, they rejected it. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, it, it, this is after you knock off yeah. the fucking body bag. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, on some legal, fuck. legal determination terms, and um, mate, I tell you that that put me straight back to where I'd been, mm. and and I just went, I can't believe I've done what I've done for these two organisations over my entire working life, for them to then turn around to me and say we're not accepting this. And this is yeah. recent, like this yeah, is I'm within twenty twenty two. So this is within a fucking year. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's still raw with me, real raw, mm. and we were doing a lot of work. Um, that's what that's you know why this van exists mm. now because I'm trying to do some work with the the heart to heart walk that's trying to raise awareness of these these issues. Uh, not only the awareness of the the toll the emergency services and you know policing world takes on its people, but the system that's there to support them is bloody horrible. And you know I go to this PTSD group where that's you know there's coppers, fireys, ambos military people, army, navy, air force have all been there and, you know, they, they talk of horrors with the DVA but um, I tell you what, every one of them, when they hear about what we go through, oh, goes, oh, my God, yeah, yeah. you know, DVA is nothing. It was a lot so, when we had that conversation, we have a chat one, like yeah, four of us there, yeah. old Scojo. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's not it's not a good system. It's yeah. Not, it's not. It doesn't work for people like me yeah. at all. No, we'll definitely, I think this is definitely something we'll do for a, a future debrief. Yeah. Uh, definitely chat about with three. Uh, two so you better boys. do it before I get gag ordered because part of the process that they put us through gets to a point where they can sign, they can make you to get your 
nothing. Yeah, like, isn't that wrong yeah. though? How can they do yeah, that? No, that's, that's one of the things. It's it's um, yeah, it gives you a lot of strength. Is that guys like Matt and Ben coming out with their stories and um, mm. it's getting it out there. It's hundred percent, yeah. mate. Fuck, I, this I, is recent. Yeah, I know a lot Less of guys. A fucking year. I know a lot of guys that have been doing this shit order. still. Yeah, they can't, it's crazy. You can't even comment well, on the police. That's Facebook what side. brought me to podcasts. In yeah. all honesty, because mm. when I was really crook. But trying to get better, um, you know, the storytelling side of your podcast, particularly Matt, um, was really, uh, I, I suppose, validating for me in the sense that I hear these people have done mm. crazy stuff, um, you know, much more crazy than I've ever been exposed to. But you know, you just hear what they were going through and going, "Wow, that's so familiar." And yeah, yeah. So you know, I think there's a there's a hell of a lot of strength in storytelling and and. Uh, you know, just talking about your story and getting it out there and getting people to understand what you, what, you know, the average, you know, I, I don't think I've done anything outside of normal. Like I, I, I've done stuff other people haven't done. They've all done stuff I haven't done. And, you know, my story in the cops and the fires is pretty standard in my books. Um, well, I, I, knowing from my, my own story, it's as a cop, yours is different to mine, and but yours to me is more extraordinary. And mm. your everyone's run, got a different story. You've done yeah. some crazy ass stuff. Yeah, yours is broad, broadcasted around, <laughs> around yeah. Australia. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah, after working with Matt and getting to know him, is yeah. he's, he's a good mate. Yeah, and I know his story, and, and it's yeah, it's the untold story of the police. No, officer. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. the whole point of what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and I yeah. thank you for I'm it. Just, just an army guy yeah. trying to spread yeah. the word on the bullshits happening within the you know first responders. Now, mate, so, you know, up until this current date, you're medically, uh, medically discharged from the fire rescue, obviously. Yep. Um, obviously, you're still currently uh, psychologist. Yeah, neck deep and all that stuff. Yeah, neck deep and all that stuff currently t- to date. Yep. Yep. And uh, so what I want to touch on quickly now is obviously heart to heart. Yeah. So you are, so you're just backing it up, actually. You've had a fucking stellar career within the police force and uh, New South Wales Fire and Rescue as a retained firefighter, mate, well done. Thanks. On, you know. Yeah. Now, heart to heart. Let's quickly let's yeah. touch on what what you know because we're, we're in the in in we're Dolly. In the we're in Dolly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> hey, I, I slept in it the first time. I, no, the first you've slept in Dolly. I slept yeah. right where Matt's sitting. Yeah, yeah, I slept yeah. in Dolly. Yeah, first yeah. one in Dolly. God Almighty! We've been sitting. You're, mate, you're making her blush. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah, look. Hopefully, I, Dolly's not your mum. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's actually a weird story. Like this van, like my wife actually bought this van for me as a project to keep me occupied. Actually, um, a good little while ago, about a year ago or something. And uh, and when I went down, we we you know during that COVID period when you couldn't get any vans or anything like that, they were really scarce. And we, anyway, we found this thing. I drove down to uh, with her to pick it up, and the, and the lady that was selling it goes, "Oh, what, I actually said to her, oh, we're going to probably turn it into a podcast van." And she was talking to, talking to me about it, and and uh, she said, "Oh, that's really interesting." Um, I, I actually did a psychology degree right where you guys are sitting oh, now. No way. Yeah, so she yeah, used right. it as like a little outside office, and I went, "Oh, that's a strange linkage." We got to talk, and it ends up she was friends with a guy I was in the rescue squad with. <laughs> Small yeah, world, yeah. Small world. tiny world. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, she'd called it Dolly, and I thought oh, I can't change your name. But yeah, we changed. So, we sorry, Dolly's her mum's name. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> never slept in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, fitted her out with all this gear, and um, it's comfy. Yeah, so she's uh, she's part of what I'm doing with the Hot Art Walk, hopefully, and 
Yeah, so it's it's literally going to be a walk that starts on the 1st of July in in the centre of Australia. So the Lambert Centre of Australia is a geographic centre of Australia where they've got a little monument that is a is a miniature replica at mm. the top of the Parliament House. And um, so it's going to start there and walk all the way to Canberra. And, and it's literally trying to call government to uh, action a 2019 Senate Report that was into mental health first responders, and uh, it was done around about the same time as the as the report into veteran suicide. Uh, same sort of uh, uh, report generation, and and they've basically done nothing at all with the one for the for the first responders. So oh, of course, um, of course, they haven't. Yeah, so it's it's literally trying to raise awareness of what we already know is not working, and what we already know needs to be done better, but actually do something about it. And uh, it's to do with first responder. Suicide, and I say first responders as in cops, you know, and other emergency services. I know they sometimes differentiate them, but um, yeah, so it's it's to do with uh, you know suicide, mental health, and uh, premature mortality. Uh, it's sort of the anecdotal evidence is that particularly cops die young, long long serving cops die pretty young um, as a general as a general uh, rule, and. Um, so the health, the health impacts of service too are part of it, but yeah. So it's it it's going to be a, a three month long walk, starting in the desert and finishing in Canberra. Um, I'm planning to do the first part of it, but then do the storytelling. Like, so Dolly can't get into the desert; cause mm. she's not an off road beast. But yeah. um, you know, and then and then hopefully the rest of the journey for me, my part of it, will be doing like what we're doing now and talking to people in the little town, like the emergency service people in the little towns that we go through, people on the walk, tell your story and why why you're actually doing the walk, what why it's important. So um, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and it's going to conclude down in Canberra, basically on Police Remembrance Day, mm. uh, which is the the date that we'll walk in officially into Canberra. Yeah, and say hey, enough's enough. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd love to uh, try and tag along somehow. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be there at the end. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's, I think it's going to be a big one next year. Or yeah. this year? Yeah, this year. This yeah, year. so the launch for it's, uh, you know, yeah, going to be pretty big down there. Do you reckon the too, commission so. will be down there? No. <laughs> no, didn't think so. Um, should be too busy hugging the horses oh, or doing TikToks. TikToks. Yeah, that's the TikToks. If you're listening, Miss Karen Webb, pull your finger out. TikTok. Hell. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll keep quiet on that one. No, nah, yeah, pull podcast. your fucking finger out. <laughs> your officers are fucking pulling the pin every almost. You know, yeah. I think there was a bloke down in Victoria shot himself in the yeah, head the other day. Yeah, it was yeah. a senior sergeant or sergeant. Yeah, yes, yeah, high rank. Fucking hell. Shot, so. Yeah, it's too much of that going on. Uh, and yeah. uh, like having known, you know, the people that I know that have either tried and. Mm. You know, nearly succeeded, and you know, you hear you, there's too many of these bloody stories. Yeah, on, and for you to be going through the shit you're going through, yeah. still, yeah, still now, yeah, it's not over for me. It's good to see the government sending fucking shit over the Ukraine and not sorting out <laughs> our fucking soldiers. You know, our first responders on the on the ground, yeah, sending two hundred uh, fucking million dollars there, and yeah, it's yeah. better money we can spend elsewhere. Yeah, on our own Mark country. Donaldson said something to me once um, when I was at work. He said, "Thanks for doing what you do here, so I can go do what I do over there." And um, yeah, no, oh, exactly a, right. It's a huge thing. Exactly right. It's um, well, I'm we're, while we're overseas, you, we're you guys 40. are the ones looking after yeah. the, the families. Yeah. You know what? Fuck. I don't know. This, this is a good debrief talk, actually. We'll yeah, definitely uh, move on to that. <laughs> now, mate, we've been talking for two hours and two hours and something. Two, probably about two hours, two hours and a half, and it's been 
an absolute eye-opener, mate, just to hear the police rescue side of things. Uh, I had the police rescue guy from the helicopter, uh, Cam Hardiman. Yes, Yep. Uh, Victorian police. He's actually been part of the walk. Has he? Yeah, yeah, mate. He, he was part of the He's a great guy. Out. He's got a yeah. book out. He was, yeah, we should write a book. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he, he's got a great story. And, mate, to hear your story, especially, you know, it's hard for me to say. I'm New South Welshman now. <laughs> I hate it. I'm born and bred in Brisbane, Queensland. <laughs> I'm a Queenslander. Yeah, right. But, you know, I guess I, you know, I prefer the New South Wales police over anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Especially today. <laughs> Especially today, yeah. yeah. Swarmed yeah. by them. Yeah. It's been an, you've had an absolute fucking stellar career, mate. Thank you. I, I can't fathom it. Uh, Jughead's lived it in a way. The stuff you guys see, first responders, uh, what you what you got to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I was only speaking with a cop the other day. They were telling me, you know, they went from some, I think it was Victorian or somewhere. He went from, you know, oh, no, it was Queensland actually. He went to a, a job. A woman's trying to stab herself in the guts to kill herself. You know, half an hour later, he's straight to another job dealing yeah. with a domestic. Yeah. Straight from that domestic job dealing with some fucking woman whinging about a, you know, a dog next door that's yeah. barking too much to, you know, looking for a, a missing child. And then running like, home to feed the kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to go back and report first. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pile yeah. Pile yeah. Pile yeah. Do the paperwork. Uh, you never did paperwork, did you? Oh, mate, actually. They did paperwork a, against a, you. No, that's a totally <laughs> different story. <laughs> it's, I heard it on Soggy's and uh, Semps's, um Debrief today about doing it in your own time. I'm the master of that stuff. Do, yeah, I got some. Right, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's the, that's the diversity of the, the yeah. life of a police yeah. officer. Yeah, yeah. And you know, same thing for fireys and uh, yeah, the ambos. Um, same thing, and I'm sure yeah, corrections. I didn't get to touch on much of that today, yeah. but yeah, it's it's not that different. Absolutely yeah. crazy, mate. So you know, for our guests, and I'm sure you've listened to a couple of our potties. Mm. I've got three three questions. I might even add one on the end. <laughs> First question, you know, what advice can you give to people, you know, just to keep on keeping on, you know, complete any goal they set their mind to and, uh, you know, get through the diversities of life, I suppose, in, in general. You know, you don't have to be a police officer or no. anybody army to have PTSD. You know, it could be, you know, you could be involved in some serious accident and have that, you know, that those, those, you know, the black dog come along. Absolutely. So, you know, what advice can you give to people? Because you, you're obviously working through your uh, issues still, mm. current date, and you're getting better, mate. You didn't spew. <laughs> I know, I had the bucket <laughs> so that's ready. A good, that's a good start, mate. You that's a good that start. Was yeah. Yeah. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> no, you told yeah. me. Oh, yeah, shit bucket. Sometimes I, uh, yeah, that can happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Not today. Yeah, look, I, um, uh, I think look, looking back over – my time was not taking any of that stuff seriously. And, and I don't, I really don't think I understood how impactful the stuff that I did or what it meant was until I was actually going through it, to be honest with you. So, you know, I certainly saw lots of people finish their careers um, going down that path, but not really understanding why. And, you know, I think, I think you've got to be a bit honest with yourself and go, you know what, if you go and you know, pick up dead kids off roads and then go back home and have dinner and then go back and do the same stuff the next day. That's not, that's not normal. And you need to, you need to acknowledge the fact that's not normal and, and look after yourself and actually take the time to be, um, accepting, I guess, of the, the help and the, the options open to you. But I'm not blind to the fact that I'm sure it's not that different now that, there's still that 
internal organizational stigma to limit your future mm. once once you acknowledge the fact that you've been affected. Uh, so that's a that's a balance I don't really know how to approach. It's a very personal one, but uh, I think it's getting better from what I hear. But you know, I don't think it's there yet. But you know, just just taking the time to look after yourself and and, ha- and one thing I have learned from some awesome people that I, that I've actually had on my podcast is those that have outlets in their personal life um, seem to deal with stuff better. So whether that's gym, whether it's rock climbing, whether it's painting or all of them, uh, have that circuit breaker between work and mm. your own person, who you are as a person, and don't don't just live that life of the identity that the organisation gives you, which is what I think I got probably wrong for a long time. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. And yeah. obviously, yeah. You know, I think uh, one big thing is just reach out to people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, don't be Friends as well, like, and, you know – it, one thing I think of is, you know, even, you know, fuckwits like Osama Bin Laden, people still loved him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. someone loves you still. You yeah. know, there's always yeah. going to be someone that you can reach out to. Yeah. If he's got fucking yeah. friends, yeah. you've Everyone's got, friends. got friends. Everyone's got friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's someone you can reach out to. It's just it's, it's just talk. talk. I think, I think that's the best thing about podcasting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, forever, what's, just, that's what's drawn me to it. And that's, just, that's why I contacted you in the you first know, place. Was how many people know this whole story of what you've just told today? Yeah, I don't know. There's going to be a fucking few thousand people. Yeah, there will be some it. now. It's yeah. going to know it now. Yeah, yeah. true. It's yeah. um. There's always someone out there. I've always said, reach out. Yeah, call me. Yeah, That's unfortunate yeah. side of the cops is there's a saying that's really true: is there's nothing more X than an X. Mm. Yep. And you really feel like that when you're walking out that door for the last time. Uh, but what I have found since I've been out and you know put my hand up now is the people that I'm interacting with now get it and. It's quite a, a cathartic group to be part of, like with you guys, even now. It, it's, you know, I didn't have this for so many years mm. and I hid away from it and mm. ignored it and tried to hide it for so long. When now that you're actually open about it and talking about it, it's it's not that scary. Yeah. Um, no, it's, and no, it's, and it's exactly right. And it's good. Yeah. And who knows, man, it might help that one or two, three, oh, four, man. five officers that are... Well, I know your podcast helped me a lot. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm not the only yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, well, mate, s- s- I'm, I'm one. <laughs> yeah, listen to your podcast. It's, it changes. Yeah, changes yeah. Yeah. Wait for your podcast. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Mate, second question. What is the plans for the future? Um you got no access to any body bags anywhere. No, actually, that was part of my uh, that was part of my therapy. Sorry, mate. <laughs> a bit of dark humor. It's, it's, yeah. Well, you wouldn't believe what I had to throw out, and uh, yeah. yeah. So all of that, yeah, that's all gone. But um, future for me at the moment, I'm I'm really just focused on this walk, and um, it's not only my wife, but you know, even my kids are on board with trying to make sure what I've been through isn't going to change it for people in the Mm. future. And Mm. that's what drives me at the moment is, you know, this system that I'm in is broken. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not, it's not okay. And no, it's shit. I'll I'll, I'll say it for you. It's fucked. It 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 is absolutely fucked. I 100% agree with you, mate. I 100% agree with you. It's it's no other way to put it. But I've put, I've had to go through the ringer in a lot of ways and, and, one of the things I'll be really disappointed about is if it doesn't change it for someone. Mm. Uh, and we're, you know, my wife spent half the day on the phone today to ministers' offices trying to get agreements to change legislation to try and, you know, with the election coming up, 
you know, she's she is a beast of it, it, like just pursuing the inequity of the whole thing and making sure it's going to get changed. And I'm doing what I can. I'm a bit limited uh, at the moment, but uh, you know, the 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 dribs and drabs that I can do of the podcast when I'm able to do it, and I'm not always able to do it. And there's been a lot of work coming, <laughs> a lot of work I've done to actually be here today. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, you know, I'm just. I'm driven by making change for the better for people like me. Yeah. So the future for me at the moment is focused on this walk, mm. make sure that statement is made to government and then uh, focused on just – got, I've got a lot of repair work to do with my family too. So mm. I've got to um, – you know, that's – it's not been a good time um, even since I'll, I've been, you know – even since my last day at work, mm. um, it's not been good on my family, and I've got to try and make that up a bit too, and 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 get better because yeah. I'm not I'm not fully better yet. Yeah, I got a no. long I got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good on you, mate. And you know, I guess you know, do it for your kids. Yeah, that's that's, that's what I do, that's man. The that's that's yeah. Yep. And you do it for your nephew, teaching him bad <laughs> shit. <laughs> Giving him podcast ideas. Uh, I don't know if he's your youngest fan, but he's 12 and he loves you, loves your potties. <laughs> no, appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> he loves him. Just don't, yeah, stay in school and don't swear. <laughs> stay in his school. Yeah. Mate, third question. Um, extensive career in the police. You're a badass. I've heard some wild stories of you being a badass. You're not, you, yeah. <laughs> You're not, you're not, you're not an angel. <laughs> no, you're good. You've been a. Uh, a lot of that stuff's not statute barred yet. So yeah, that's why he's but got a gag yeah. for the night. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't open up. But yeah, it's policing. This it is, is, you know, yeah. what I, what I've heard. It's yeah. that's how fucking policing should be. Dealing with fucking fuckwit criminals. Yeah. Um. So, what I want to know is, do you have any guilty pleasures, or tell us something that people don't know about mm. you? You know, is there? I forgot you were um, going to ask this. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, f- for example, sometimes I'll scratch my butt so hard that it bleeds and my wife will be like, wow. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to claim that one. I don't know if it's worms or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's tablets for it, you know. I don't know. Oh, don't man. Know. It's um, probably all the booze I drink and I don't know. Look up. It's probably one, th- one thing, legacy thing from a kid. I've always been fascinated with Radio, like CB radio. Yeah, right. Radio yeah, gig. Like, yeah. Handbag, we call them in the army. Signals. Yeah, is that right? Signal call, so yeah. If they I, carry, they if carry I went into the army, I, that's what I would have Signals, done. Signals, Because yeah. it still blows my mind. I think it blew my mind as a kid that I could talk in this thing in a car and you could hear it in another car. Yeah. And you couldn't see it. Oh. It's a, it's I think a, that's it's a what blew my mind. Scojo. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's always captured me. Um but yeah, right. you got a ham radio here, here somewhere, I, don't I you? I have got a hatred. There you go. I got a little... <laughs> there you go, mate. You're talking to the fucking <laughs> no, aliens. I'm not, I'm not on those... Uh, not on those... You've got your tinfoil hat on. <laughs> hey, big daddy. <laughs> uh, I've, got a, I've got an old... Where you live, big guy? Yeah. But that that is actually... Those uh, four-wheel drive and HF radios is something that blows my mind, yeah, you know, that yeah. you can talk for a thousand k's. Yeah. Or it's, more. And I think, yeah, I was... Oh, like, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that. But yeah, I was, I was watching one on YouTube. I was speaking to the space station. Were they? Somehow they figured out the channel and God. bang, space station. Hey boys, it's, what's up? <laughs> wow. You would remember Police Weekly or the Women's Weekly we used to call it whatever used to come out, and it used to have in the back the frequencies yeah. to talk. The you, there was a old sergeant Trent Lamerton at Fairfield Highway. 
He used to call up Lord Howe Police Station. Yeah. <laughs> and have a chat to him. Yeah. yeah right. I remember him telling me that once. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that, yeah, probably a radio nerd in the background. Yeah. Um, and astronomy, probably for the same reason. Just yeah, blows astronomy's my mind. cool. It yeah. is. Yeah, I've got the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I listen to a few of those podcasts every now and then just to, if you want to have your brain explode, you just listen to that and try and understand it. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. (laughs) I love those potties. Yeah. Far out. He's got some stories. Yeah, that's right. Astrophysicist. Neil Neil deGrasse. I have to mm. listen to that one. Tyson, he's, yeah, he's, cool. he's, yeah, he's the black guy. He yeah. looks like- uh, he got an awesome voice. looks like Cleveland from The Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah, so that's probably probably something not people that don't really know me well would yeah. know, I think. Yeah, yeah. Right. there you go. No scratching my ass problems, but- Yeah, um, yeah, I've got that issue. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of other things there somewhere, but yeah, that's all I'll, that's all I'll say publicly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't know. Like the only other advice I can give anyone is, you know, in 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 the agencies is get it, get into it, chase what you can, but look after yourself and and back yourself too. I think I I probably limited myself in some ways during my careers in not not uh, not backing myself, actually yeah. doubting myself yeah. or doubting my ability to pass a course or mm. doubting my ability to perform something that stacks of other people have passed, but I've gone, oh, no, I'll be the one that will fail yeah. and maybe limited some of the things that I might have chosen. You know, like being in OSG, TOU's obviously, obviously the pinnacle of that sort yeah. of pathway. And, mm. you know, I know I know people that have been in there and done it and have been not that different to me, but I've always convinced I would never pass that and um, never tried. So, you know, that's sort of – and I think maybe that's what took me to policing instead of the military is because I, th- I knew more about it. Thought, oh, I yeah. know I can pass yeah, that, but that's an unknown to me yeah. and I didn't chase it. Yeah. So maybe, um, yeah, I think probably if I had my time again, that's probably what I would – that's probably what I'd tell my 18-year-old self. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, fourth question. This is new. Yeah. There's the, the, the fourth. Oh, this, the third one's, this one's just a bit of a stab at all yeah. the cops. <laughs> Who is the best in the cops? Rescue, TAU. Oh, which unit? Yeah, which unit? Oh, man. Come on, you, you, who are, who are the best detectives? You love detectives. <laughs> I, I work second I, responders. <laughs> they they, they drive a, away yeah. from danger. <laughs> you're asking the bloke that was in a unit of uniform. Because you cops. did everything. You did everything. Yeah. Uh, not you everything, did but high patrol. You did licensing. Licensing intel. He was, he was a vicious DDs. licensing. Oh, fuck it. I only imagine. Yeah. But it's, um, I worked in the building that I was in a unit of, say, there's only Highway and the OSG boys that were the only uniform guys attached to the detectives in a command full of them. Mm. Ugh. And yeah, exactly. But like, without one part of the cops, how do we function? I don't who's the best? Who's the, the best? I don't you know. know. It's just like the army. Like, you, infantry's yeah, the best. Yeah. Oh, everyone else can get fucked. Where, the best. You know what the best thing is? Where did you have the most fun? Where did you have the most fun? Well, I can tell you the most necessary is general duties. Like, they're probably yeah, the most. They are probably yeah, the most the disrespected, heroes. underrated. Oh, well, they're the first workhorse. to respond to fucking yeah. everything and anything. They're overloaded, under-resourced, yeah. not, re- not, yeah. not valued yeah. in the organization like they should be. Yeah. It should be shikikis. centered. Yeah. It, the whole organization should be centered around the general duties yep. officers. They and are the, the, the literal first responders to everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. They go to something with 20 bikies, yeah. they call us. Yeah. They go to something with someone off a cliff, they call rescue. They are the ones going yeah. through yeah. to do every job. There and you go. In a chat today with a few of the boys, um, 
Yeah, they're the, yeah. I said they're the first ones to everything. Yeah, exactly. They yeah, are. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, GDs but I'll, t- I'll tell yeah. you who I reckon it, that do carry a, des- a, a detective designation that actually deserve it is forensics. Forensics, they, yeah. so, The scientists on, like, mate, they oh, are. They're, they're gun-carrying scientists. That's There's nothing like CSI, yeah. but what they yeah. do do is, is amazing. But I, I don't know. I, I reckon the... For me, with my background, the funkiest section in the cops would have to be Polly. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's pretty Just cool. flying around, doing his job. Cool, yeah. You know, yeah. Even that's changed now. Like, I remember some of my last experiences with Polly. It's changed from what it was back in the heyday of when I, like, you know, Polly going a, a wide yeah. arc and zoom out. Now they go in and zoom in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> The cops out there will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, right. Well, anyway, it was the yeah. GDs. So shout yeah. out to all the GDs yeah. out there. Absolutely. The yeah. backbone. Yeah. yeah. They the are the backbone, backbone of the police. Yeah. And yeah. They are the only ones in the whole organisation that has to be on tomorrow. It yeah. will fall over if yeah. they're not on duty. Yeah. Everything else can literally be parked. Yeah. yeah. Just um, no more TikToks, please. <laughs> Concentrate <laughs> yeah, on police. Come that's on. The police yeah. That's the police media unit, mate. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, get it. What are they doing? I don't know. Well, but it's, um, yeah. It's, um, well, Judy's is where we all start too. No, exactly yeah, right. It's where you start exactly you, right, you move yeah. out from. Yeah. And some guys will stay in there for their entire career. I'd love it. Yeah. I'd yeah. carry dual pistols. <laughs> Can you do that? No. <laughs> no. That, I'd, actually, I'd, one I'd, thing I didn't yeah. tell you, one, one thing that was cool for me as a young probie was uh, going going out with the 38. So I actually, after I graduated, my dad gave me his pistol grips. Yeah, right. For the you got 38. the other ones? Yeah, right. No, because we got... Dad and I got pretty big hands, and yeah. the little grips on the thirty eight yeah. were bloody tiny. Shit. And uh, you could you could sort of officially, sort of, I don't know. Um, there, there was nothing to stop you doing it back then. You could I don't think anyone told grips. me not to, no. but yeah, you could you could you could unbolt the grips and put a yeah. bigger bigger uh, wooden handle grip on it. Yeah. Like you couldn't wear the big pearl grips and stuff like the shooters in America. Uh, but yeah, I got to, I got to carry my dad's pistol grips. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah, pretty that, cool. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. I reckon yeah. I'd change my name to Judge Dread. <laughs> Legally, oh, just I'm sorry about that. Imagine <laughs> we used to work with a sergeant <laughs> death. Oh, Deeth, yeah, Deeth. it was in the OSG. It's spelt D E A T H. Was it? Came in Inspector. Yeah, did he? Is he still out there? Sergeant Death. Is he? I haven't seen him around the Inspector Death. Just just dishing out Death. It's Spelt Death. His nameplate. I tell you, man, it looks cool looking nameplate. I'd be owning it. Yeah, hundred percent. There's some. There's some characters in the police force. Yeah. There's some characters. Oh, no, there definitely It makes is. characters. Definitely yeah. is. Like, you can go in there pretty normal and you're, you're a character, different personality types become different characters. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Yeah, right. Well, anyway, shout out to the cops again. I've had too many bloody cops on. Yeah, have <laughs> you had a run of them, yeah. man? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right, I've got to stop. You're a frustrated cop. He's a frustrated eight. So <laughs> yeah. you want to join the army? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little known truth about me is I wanted to join the army before the cops. Did That's all I was going to be. Yeah. Fine, so right. frustrated cop with you? Too frustrated. You would have been, no, been a period head, wouldn't you? <laughs> God no, mate. Infantry. <laughs> yeah. Good boy. Yeah. Good boy, mate. Uh, right. If people want to reach out to you, they can head to your podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so what's, what's the handle? For the first time in my life, I've got this social media stuff going on. Yep. Um, it's H two the number two H. Uh, walk dot podcast. So H two H walk dot podcast. Yeah, right. Uh, Facebook and Instagram. It's on there. We got a web page too. It's uh, www dot heart the number two heart walk dot org. So yeah. the podcast stuff links are on there. But, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, get o- get over and have a listen to the podcast and you know see what they're doing. And uh, I want to be part of this. 
It's actually. I want to. I want to bring my. You know, for this hard yeah. walk and cool. Let's let's join forces and. Man, pitchforks be... out. <laughs> we it's actually it. Well, just being on your podcast is. You yeah. know, uh, f- for my little following compared to yours, mate, I tell you, um, it, it's really appreciated just from the exposure point of view for the walk. Um, not, not, I, I've always wanted to tell you my story, and I mean, we've talked about yeah. this for a long time, yeah. but um, you know, that's a that's a big help for uh, yeah. for our cause anyway. No, good mate. On, on no, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be part of it. Yeah. And if you want to reach out to Murph. Jughead. Good luck. Fucking Raptor 13. I'm still cockhead. What else do they call you? <laughs> fuck I've had some pearls and nicknames. It's the pest. <laughs> the pest is probably one that some of the boys call you. That's what your me. bosses used to call you. <laughs> Which boss? Well, Depends the, on the boss. <laughs> the media. What uh, they called you? Oh, mis- well, is it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it tough policing or is it just hard justice? I know. I just, I was taught by cops to be a cop and. Oh, um, I loved it. Yeah. I love it. I was. In the, his era, I started in the nineties, yeah. and we were cops. Were cops? It's, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's, Four body worn cameras. Oh, <laughs> don't start about BWCs. Um, yeah. So if you want to reach out to Murph, you can't because yeah. I'm not going to say his Instagram Send handle. Send your letters just, to just, the North just, Pole. Just as of yet. Yeah. If, if you want to get in touch come. with me through Maddie, yeah, and, um, hit, hit me up on. or Tenny Dig or someone like that. Uh, yeah. We'll reach out to him. Bob's Optics. He's Bob um, Optics, yeah. Hunting shit CNTSs. He, uh, he knows where to find me. Dirty Bit of Pilgrim. Yeah. NASC, they all know where to find me. Yep, him. yep. Or uh, uh, Scott Jones, if you can find him. <laughs> if you can find him, you're doing well. AKA Scojo. Yeah. Good on, uh, Mate, again, thank you yeah, for, for having me on. letting us inside Dolly. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> so bad when you say it that way. <laughs> and recording. Uh, you know, we're out at your place, uh, North yeah. Newcastle, out in the sticks, and it's it's beautiful out here. Yeah. Like, I'm loving it. We obviously, we had the cockatoos, yeah. you know, go, going at it before. And, You'll have you know, the bloody possums going and, on now. It's been that long. Uh, it's, be, it's been absolutely – it's been a pleasure yeah. to come out here. and Yeah, thank you, mate. You know, come into your humble space and, yeah. And thanks for all your help you've – Given me over the time that putting all this together, so yeah, not too easy, dude. And uh, all right, well, stay tuned and see you next time. Thanks again. Um, I'm doing more in here. <laughs> yeah, I want to do the casting couch, mate. Yeah, this is the comfy. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know. I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet and... I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now, look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.